up, folks? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Aggressively podcast with your truly sincere Hogan, my man Mike Mahler, and we got a real treat for you guys this week. Got a really great author and all around Renaissance man is what I, I see him as. We got author Sam Sheridan. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me, guys. I don't know about a treat, but uh, you know I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best. I actually met Sam at one of Mike's seminars at the Age of Quarrel seminar, as a matter of fact. Big fan of his book. I, one of the first books I got from Sam was The Fighter's Mind. And right around the time we met at Age of Coral, I think, Sam, you were getting ready to release. It hadn't come out just yet. But I think it was getting ready to come out, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was about, I guess it was, what, 2008 maybe or something like that? Yeah, 2009 yeah. was the course. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the nine maybe, yeah. Wow. But of course, you know, I finish a book, and then, you know, it goes into the, the process, and, you know, it could be a year later, and you're just like, yeah. what's going on, guys? And they're like, oh, we're holding it for this and that, your Father's <laughs> Day, and... So, you know, I kind of forget when I finish him and when, what, what, what happens. Yeah, man. So it, I started with A Fighter's Mind, which was actually your second book. Um, a Fighter's Heart was your first book. Just, just talking to you and just talking about the mental aspect of fighting and, and not just other fighters, but actually yourself, man. So what was really crazy is the fact that you've actually stepped in the ring yourself at, in, in a very testing type place doing Muay Thai over in Thailand. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I stepped in the ring in a very limited way, and it was uh, incredibly uh, educational. And uh, I, I love, um, I really love fighting for that kind of, you know, that kind of, you know, that there's a, there's a real feeling like, you know, in a lot of people that, hey, if you want something bad enough, you can be it, or you know, you can you can be president, and, and guess what, you know, I mean, fighting's a great place to kind of learn your limitations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I fought a quite, you know quite a bit for years and uh, uh, trained with a lot of great guys. But I really definitely learned, you know, sort of where I fit in that hierarchy. And and, uh, and you know, just the differences. You know, you guys work out with pro athletes sometimes, and it's just a different a different kettle of fish sometimes right. when you get in there. Right. No, I remember yeah. one time I, I was working out at Mark Phillippe's gym, and he had me do sprinting with some NFL guys, and I was like, this is going to be a joke, you know, for them. And and I mean, the second we started running. All I all I remember seeing are three guys way in front of me. <laughs> you know what? I had, and, I'm, and I'm running as fast as I can. I'm, I, I think, I'm thinking I'm moving. I'm like, man, I'm going to haul ass and at least stay within a window of these guys. But all I remember is like a blur of three guys in front of me <laughs> crossing the finish line. <laughs> you know, I had the, almost the same experience was running with some NFL tight ends, and I was like yeah. – these guys are about my size. I mean, I'm like 6'4", about 2'10". You know, they're a little bigger than me. And they just got moving so much faster than me. You know, like they, the power when their legs hit the ground was just yeah. so yeah. obvious that they were just striking the ground so much faster. But, yeah, so – and definitely like in the fight game, you, you, you know, you, you learn real quick kind of where, you know, what, what you can do and what you can't do uh, hanging out with pros because they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it for a reason. You know what I mean? Right. How do, how do, people, how do people deal with – just lo- I mean, the fighters you've, you've analyzed, how do, they, how do people come back from just losing? Like, let's say they lose three in a row, and then all of a sudden they just get their head straight and they're able to come back and have a successful career. Were there any common threads that you saw among those people? You know, yeah, I, I, that's a good question. I, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys about losing, and I think, you know, there, there, is, there is some stuff that I wrote about and some stuff that I've kind of, you know, heard about. it, And uh, I think, you know – a lot of it's attitude, and I always get, get you know, I have a kind of a, a bone to pick with fans when they say, oh, a fighter's making excuses. 
Right. And yeah. it's like, listen, he's got to have a reason that he lost. He's got to right. understand. Like, right. if, oh, he's not looking at it. Like, you know, is he just going to say I suck? I mean, fighters are <laughs> lying when they say yeah. I, when they just when they say I'm not making excuses. I just it was his night. They're, they're they have a reason they lost. Yeah, right. And you need a reason. Your team needs a reason. Your coaches need a reason. And I think you know, it's like what I think what what Henzo uh, Gracie talked about was you know when you really learn from a loss, when you you know when you you kind of you you get a lesson burned into your into your system by because it's so humiliating and so awful um that you never forget it you know you never forget that screw up like when he you know tried to take sakuraba's back and got his arm broken yeah yeah um you know it was like he'll never do that again and and maybe he would have learned that lesson any other way i think he has a picture of that on his wall you know yeah he does in his gym yep um, you know, so I think that that there, that's some of the differences. You know, is guys who can really um, who who can assimilate the loss and and not take it personally, and and kind of and and grow and and not be scared. I mean, it, it's but it's tough. You know, and I certainly you know when you get on that train of three or four losses in a row, it's pretty hard. I think. Yeah, but I'm thinking kind of, about someone like Overeem. Like Overeem has had has had two tough losses back, now. And, yeah. And he looked great initially against Travis Brown. Yeah. I, was, I remember I was thinking, I was like, I bet, I, I, love, I love betting on UFC. So I'm sitting there getting all excited. I'm like, oh, he's got it. He's got it. He's going to finish right. him off. And then all of a sudden, 30 seconds later, he's getting kicked to the head and knocked out. And I have, I have to wonder what his confidence is going to be like now after getting just knocked out twice and if he's going to be able to come back from that and work his way back into title contention. I mean, you never know. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough. I think – when I see success, it often comes from guys who can take time off and get away, right, you know, right. and, and let their brain recover from the, the beatings and kind of, you know, I think guys get burned out by training camp. Uh, sure. They get crushed. You know, I, I, I honestly, you know, there's a clip of Anderson Silva, you know, that I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but being interviewed, you know, a week before the, the Wyman fight and him, and the guy, the guy ends the interview and goes, what's the best outcome? for this fight, and he goes, why, man, new champion, you know, like, he was, <laughs> I feel like, and he meant it, kind of, it was, it was, and he was like, because of the rematch, and he goes, no, I don't want a rematch, ever, you know, and it was like, I don't think he, I think he was sick of being champ, you know, I think right. he was exhausted with it, and I think, right. it's something that Pat Militich talked about, about Matt Hughes, you know, they were exhausted with being champ, but going back to just getting over loss, yeah, I mean, I think Overeem, you know, is a little bit questionable mentally anyway, um, right, if, right. You, if you sort of look at, like, what he's done to his, himself, and, 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 sure. Uh, physically, you know, the kind of things he's done. And um, I don't think I can talk, say any more than that. But, you know, <laughs> right. your yeah, eyes no. your eyes can tell yeah. you what happened to him. And I think yeah. – It's and kind I of like Barry you know, Bonds' that, head from 1992 compared to the size of his yeah. head. Yeah. No, it's the horse meat. <laughs> the horse meat he was eating. But, but um, you know, I think, I think guys like that, they, they feel in, invulnerable when they get bigger. And then if somebody cracks that, it can be real tough on them, you know. Right. Well, I think a good example of what Mike was talking about is like this past weekend, just look at Frank Mir, someone else who had his challenges. He'll, he'll have back-to-back losses here, but then he'll come back and just like, boom. And this past weekend was very questionable because I, I feel like, I don't know, I'm kind of 50-50 on the stoppage itself. But one thing, I text Mike right before the fight started. I'm like, wow, this is the best I've ever seen Frank look. He had some of those losses where it kind of just makes him like have to go back and reassess. Take some time, he comes back. He went to Greg Jackson's camp and really worked on some things. You can commend those fighters for that, for the fact somebody like Frank's been in the game for a long time. Yet, this guy is still always trying to add to his game and expand and things like that. So Totally. It seems like Frank is never done in his mind. Yeah, actually, I interviewed him a couple years ago talking about it for a fight, a fight piece, Fight Magazine, and uh, – mm-hmm. 
you know, his dad was a traditional martial artist, and he grew up in that scene, and so he kind of has that constant student, um, at least they'll pay lip service to it. And I, right. I think, you know, and, and certainly going to Jackson's is a great sign for him because, you know, one of the dangers for Frank was that he, I think he didn't have, you know, training partners that pushed him, you know. Yeah, he and he was, training at, you know, he was training at home all the time. So it's kind of like, yeah. Yeah, kids, so like they, they mentioned, the kids can stop by the gym while right, I'm training, right. but I can't, how hard can you focus when your family's there? Yeah, right. and, and you get the house right around the corner. You're like, ah, I don't feel like going in today. Totally. <laughs> Totally. No, and he's a guy who's big enough that he needs to be pushed pretty hard. I think you know. Oh, yeah. I think he gets comfortable, and he's a, you know such a good black belt that if if you can't threaten him in training, why would he you know react quickly? So he sort of has right. a little bit of a. He comes out a little casual sometimes, and I think against Lesnar that was always a problem. He was coming out a little casual, and you can't do that with a guy that size and right. who can arm no. punch you that hard. Yeah, Frank's Frank's gonna be around. You know, he'll he'll come back and he'll be dangerous. He's he's got a good attitude and he's definitely you know he's sort of gotten over the hump of winning and losing. You know, he's, he's right. won some, he's lost some, and he I don't think he judges himself that hard off a loss. You know, so right. he most of his losses I think he feels like he should have won them. So yeah, I mean it's I, it's tough. You know, I mean I'm, I talked to in the book I talked to Freddie Roach about Manny Pacquiao and coming back mm-hmm. from losses and and certainly. You know, that was all about just having that attitude of correcting and, and uh, making sure it never happens again and, and being really positive about it. And I think, yeah, having a little fatalism, too. You know, there's a, there's a fine line of, you know, hey, you you got you to gotta be accept, accept that something bad could happen. You know, if you can't accept right. it, it's going to be tougher, you know. Right. I think that's an important lesson in life in general, right, just learning how to – because, I mean, we don't – you're not going to meet anyone who's interesting who's never experienced some adversity have – had to overcome some obstacles. And I think I heard you say this in another interview, how much more you learn from losses or mistakes in life than you do from the successes, where it's hard to pick. Some, a lot of times the successes are sometimes random, where it's hard to pick up why you even succeeded. But with right. the losses, like you said, if you, if you apply what Robert Greene calls intense realism to your losses, you know exactly why things bond. Right. I, remember, I remember the first time I had to give a, a presentation in front of a sales group, and I, I was I was preparing all week for it. I was using all these visualization techniques, you know, going through the whole shebang. And then I got up in front of the group, and I couldn't. I I probably wouldn't even know my name if you asked me. I just went completely blank. And then when I went blank, I started freaking out. I started sweating, and I just I just made the whole situation worse. And then my manager had to come up and save me. And he's like, "Oh, this is Mike's first time trying. Let's all give him a round of applause for." Give get a shot, or which was even worse. It was, such, oh, a, it, was such, it was such a humiliating experience, but I but I couldn't wait to get back in front of that group right, and do dude. it again. I was like, you know what? I got to redeem myself. Like the whole following week, I'm like, look, you got to let me go back again next week because this time I'm going to crush it. I know exactly what I did wrong. I'm going to get back there and crush it. And sure enough, I did. And and this time I I really went over the top. I mean, in my mind, I was like Al Pacino in Heat, right? Like, <laughs> right, I'm sure, right, I'm right, sure right. I was nowhere close to that, but in my mind, it was like that kind of confidence. But uh, I, don't, I don't think I would have had that confidence if I didn't have that previous screw-up the week before. So I think, But I think at the same time, sometimes people screw up like that, and they think, oh, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. Right. Because now they have this fear of – now they have a fear of public speaking, which a lot of people have anyway. But then the, what their fear is is something like that, like what happened to me. You get up in front of a group. And you, you go completely blank and humiliate yourself. <laughs> and, no, totally. Uh, yeah, and they just remember how that did not feel good, and they don't want to experience that feeling again. Right, right, right. We've you all avoided. Things. Yeah, exactly. We've all had things happen to us where we're like, man, I don't want to go through that again. 
And then all of a sudden you, you start playing your life a little bit too safe, and then all of a sudden you start missing out. So it's, it's kind of hard to, to balance that. I think, I, I think a lot of people lose out on living fully, though, because they had these, they had these mistakes that happened at some point. So that's the blueprint in their mind of what's likely to happen again, at least in their mind. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did, they, they've tested, like, you know, uh, defeat changes your brain shape, you know, in mice hmm. and stuff. And, uh, right. And, uh, you know, it changes their hypothalamus or whatever. And then, and the only thing that mitigated that was, was being around a lot of other mice, you know. So it was like the concept, I was using it to talk about the concept of a team for a fighter, you know, to have people around you. And, and you know, talking to a lot of these coaches, you know, they're in these, these fighters are in these super fights, but every fight's a super fight, you know. It's always the biggest fight, you know, and this is the yeah. one. And it's yeah. like you have to remember, <laughs> like, <of> my career. <laughs> yeah, your, your, your wife and your kids are going to love you or not love you independent of this fight, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's going to change some things, but it's not going to change all that much. And and, uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's, that is an important lesson you can get from this stuff, you know, is, is that – to really succeed, you have to be able to accept failure in a way, you know what I mean, and, and accept loss. Exactly. Because, I mean, it's going to come. There's nothing you can do about it yeah. one way or the other. Even if you try to play your life safely, you're already – there's some failure in that right there. Yeah, exactly. Totally. No, you, absolutely. Right there, you know? <laughs> well, you know, I did this thing with the Pittsburgh Pirates a couple of years ago, and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really a baseball fan, but I was down there, and they were talking about – you know, they wanted to talk about the fighter's mind, and it was like, you know – those, your baseball, you're failing all the time. I mean, it's constant right. failure. That's all you do right. is fail in baseball, you know, and you have to kind of be at peace with it and, and come out and perform, you know, and keep doing it. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think part yeah. of the problem is, like, in the U.S., we have these kind of lame expectations as students, such as that if you get an A, it's like 90% or better. So we start thinking that all of our successes should be like that in life. So if someone who's been a straight-A student all the way through high school and college they get out in the real world, you're not going to have that kind of batting average. Now, if right. you're, like, you're in sales, you're not going to pick up the phone and talk to 10 people and close nine of them. No, no right. one does that. Just like in baseball, mm-hmm. no, one, no one's going to have 10 at-bats and hit eight, nine, not even seven, right. not even six, exactly. five. Really, it's, it's it's not even like four. Three, if you're great, it's three. Exactly. Yeah, no, the best <laughs> in the world is three. So. I mean, that's what I always tell guys who are like, afraid to – hit on women they'll go talk to one girl and get shot down i'm like well look guys i mean the, the best baseball players in the world if they like sincere said if they hit three that's considered elite if you hit if you hit if you hit two that's considered good enough to be in the game and right. we don't even, we don't even know what happens at four or five because no one's done yeah, <laughs> so, yeah you'd, be, you'd be superhuman you'd be tested and arrested by congress <laughs> You know, yeah, th- 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 this kid, um, Josh Waitskin, who was a-, a chess player who became a jiu-jitsu guy and is a martial artist, he, he was teaching chess to kids. Um, and it was interesting because he found there was there were sort of two kinds of kids. There were kids that thought they were really good at chess, and there were kids that, uh, you know, sort of were really hard workers. And how they conceived of themselves was really important because – they end up, you know, you end up giving them a problem that none of them can solve. It's way beyond their level in chess. And the kids who sort of thought that they were really just really good at chess would break. They were like really weak uh, mentally. Whereas the kids who believed it was hard work just would, you know, get back and they'd fail, but they'd get back in the trenches, you know. And that was really the kind of the, the, an interesting lesson for for to for teaching was like, you know, your work ethic is way more important than your ability, really. Right. Oh yeah, right. Talent is not enough. <laughs> yeah, totally. So no, we talked about that quite a bit with with Robert Green a couple weeks back. 
How's that? And, and I've seen that happen with many people where you, you've seen, even in our industry, this is the industry that Sincere and I are in, we, we all know people that are not the sharpest guys around or even the best coaches, but they work like crazy. And as a result, they build a pretty successful business. And then we meet people that kind of have this entitlement. They're going, well, here's my yeah. background. Here's what I know. Here's who I've worked with. And then they expect the rest of their career to be easy, and it isn't. Mm-hmm. And, then they, and then they start making excuses like, well, this is why I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do marketing that's over the top, so that's why it's not working for me, or I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. And I think that you really can't replace that work ethic. What, what are some of the things that, on a, on a different note, what are, some of the, what are some of the levels of confidence that you've developed after writing The Disaster Diaries? Because it seems like after <laughs> writing a book like that, it seems like after writing a book like that, you're either going to <laughs> – feel like, oh, man, this world is a screwed up place. You're not going to want to leave your house. Or you're going to be thinking, okay, I can handle stuff. It's not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, that was really where, where it got kind of interesting was towards the end. And I, I was actually watching a lot of, like, you know, those doomsday prepper shows. Yeah. And you could sort of yeah. see where paranoia was taking people. Right. And, you know, it was really kind of realizing. So the, the Disaster Diaries is a book about getting ready for the end of the world. Right. And it started from a fairly, you know, paranoid place. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, and I can't say that I'm, you know, Mister Confident. I don't feel like an expert in, in all these, you know, survival stuff. And 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 uh, you know, but I, I, I definitely know what I don't know, which is hugely important. And then I think, you know, what I really wanted to get to, and what I tried to get to, was kind of, you know, I think doing prep for a doomsday scenario is like, is just do it as long as it's fun. You know what I mean? It's, it's. Right. There's so many ways it could happen that building the bunker is probably not economical because you might have to leave it. I, you know what it was? I was watching this one Doomsday Preppers, and there was a guy who had built a bunker and had you know, spent 30, 40 grand on groceries. And his wife was uh, you know, an Asian woman from, you know, I want to say she's from Burma or she's from Cambodia and who'd been a refugee. You know, she'd been there, and she was so pissed at this guy. She was like, this is a waste of money. It's completely – like, we're never going to – because we're going to have to leave. You know, what's going to happen? We're going to have to leave. So I think, like, that was, like, a really interesting lesson for me in seeing that. It's like this woman's a refugee. She's been in through disasters, and she right. knows a little more than right, this guy right. who sort of has it all planned. <laughs> and, like, what's the one thing we can guarantee is it probably won't be – what you planned. So, you know, right. I, I just felt like, you know, work on skills, work on things you take with you all the time and work on things that, that improve your life, you know, that make your life better. Um, you know, it's in terms of, you know, fitness or, or new skills or travel or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, and that's kind of the best way to prepare. I mean, can, can you really, pre- yeah, cause it's, it's similar. can you really prepare for an, a stressful event without having gone through it? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is I mean this is a huge topic, you know. So I, yeah. I got very into like you know to to and it was interesting because it was building on. So I'd written this book about fighters and a fighter's mind, right. but I really hadn't gone to the next level of stress, which is what you know primarily shooting guns, you know, shooting guns is about, which is you know the Cooper's mm-hmm. color code. I don't know if right. you guys are familiar with any of that yeah. stuff, but 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 uh, um, you know, and and kind of you know life or death stress and, and condition black. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of great books out there and there's a lot of really interesting kind of brain science going on right now. Uh, uh, a friend of mine wrote a book called extreme fear, this guy, Jeff wise. And it's, you know, sort of about what the amygdala is doing. So the science is all getting a little bit more 
more researched and more more defined. But uh, <clears throat> for me, it was sort of, you know, I never heard of Condition Black, so it was interesting to kind of get into that world where, you know, you might not be able to dial 911 under right. enough stress. You know, you think that's like this one of the simplest things you can do. But right. I was talking to a guy who got mugged, and he kept dialing 411 after he got mugged. And he didn't even right. get beat up. You know, he was just so stressed out. Right. Um, he did what he had done before, which was dial 411. He'd never dialed 911 before, and he couldn't do it. You know, it took him a long time. So I think, again, it's like knowing what you don't know. You know, it's when you – as long as you're aware on some level of kind of what stress can do, I think you can you can start to mitigate. You know, you can start to work on strategies and and uh, and plans. And and having a plan is is better than not having a plan for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. It seems like when you're surprised by things, it can be real stressful. I remember I worked security when I was in college. I worked at this club that was kind of like the club in Roadhouse that Patrick Swayze movie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. This nightclub in, in Wooster, Ohio. I remember the first night I'm there as a bouncer, this fight broke out. And, I mean, I jumped in there with the other guys, but I remember my heart rate went through the roof, and, I, like, adrenaline was super high. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. But then after about six months or so working there, I mean, it, it, it pretty much happened every night where, I mean, <laughs> I remember the new guy would come in and he would have the same reaction that I had when I first started working there. But now that I've been there for a while, I mean, you don't even get a pulse. I mean, you're just casually right, going over there. You right. grab the guy, you throw him out the door. So I have to, I have to imagine most things are like that. Like I, I have friends that are overseas in special forces where they can have people shooting at them and they'll be joking about it while it's happening. It doesn't even right. stress them out at all. Well, someone else will be freaking out. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, and there's I, a danger there too, you know, because you can get overacclimated to stress, and now right, you know there's right. reasons to be stressed, um, and you're not doing it. There was a book by this guy Gonzalez, wrote a book called. Um, anyway, it's about uh, it's about you know extreme kind of events. It's called I forget what it's called, but it's great, Robert Gonzalez. And there's a special forces guy who you know he's rafting and he falls off the raft. And he's just so relaxed that he ends up drowning because he's like, oh. ah, I'm not going to swim for the raft. I'm fine. You know, this is stupid. I'm going to, this is a vacation. And uh, the guides are trying to get him and he's like, nah, I'm good. You know, I've been had people trying to kill me for two years or whatever. So, you know, there's definitely this, you know, that, that stress is serving a survival uh, aspect right. too. Yeah, that fight or flight mechanism is like, we, we have it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, totally. You can't, can't turn things off. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, there's definitely, you know, you can get too acclimated and, that was something I got into was kind of, you know, the, the the two main ways of coping with that are, you know, things everybody's aware of, which is one you're saying you've already mentioned experience and the other one is training. You know, so we all we all know about that and we all know about sports psychology and and repetition. But, uh, yeah, it was just fun to get into. You know, I talked to some guys who are, you know, PhDs who work with, um, you know, the SEER school that kind of survive, evade. Right. resist escape school and, and yeah, you know yeah. testing guys and what they would see with these special forces guys you know after they would been interrogated and, and stuff like that it's just it was fun stuff now you bring up an interesting point because it seems like when you're too relaxed you don't take the situation seriously and then that's when you're more likely to get injured i mean i've seen that happen all the time in the context of physical training such as people get injured during their warm-up sets because they're just right. like for example they're doing their they're on their way to doing a heavy deadlift, but they actually get injured on one of the warm-up sets because they weren't paying attention. They weren't taking, thinking it seriously. They weren't, set, they weren't setting up properly. They didn't have the breathing mechanics properly. They, they weren't going to get that stuff down until they got to the heaviest set, but as a result right. of not dialing it in early, now they tweak their back or something else occurs. Right. Well, Frank Mir, we were already talking about this. You know, Frank, yeah. 
comes out against Barnett, and Barnett puts him against the cage. And like, yeah. He knows he's not supposed to be there. He knows he doesn't right, want to be there right. with Barnett. And Barnett's a big, right. huge yeah, dude. He's a know? brawler. Man. You know, and that's his, this is where Barnett wants to be. You know, but Frank, is, he's relaxed. He's sort of, he's you know, nobody threatens Frank in his right, training. Right. So he's not that intense, you know, whereas Brock Lesnar or Barnett, they know they, they're more familiar with that intensity. And that was certainly a, a very good lesson about fighting. Yeah, I think that so I too. think everyone should do a little bit to learn that intensity, you know what I mean? Right. Just to get a taste of it. Even jiu-jitsu gives you a taste, you know what I mean? Of like, whoa, this guy's trying to kill me, you know what I mean? It's like it's different right. than, than point sparring in, in karate and taekwondo. You know, you sort of you get a, a different kind of uh, a feel, and it's, it's an it's a eye-opening experience. That's like you said. If you've, if you've never been punched in the face before, that's a very disconcerting feeling. Oh, yeah. The first time it happens, I mean, the first time it happened to me, I think I was 13, 14. I just got punched the hard man. in the nose. There's nothing like seeing that lightning yeah. get punched yeah, in the face. Yeah, it just took the wind out of you. Bolts and and yeah. then also the green curtains start closing in a little bit in your eyes. What, what the hell? And all the while, what sucks is getting hit in the nose because now you're crying involuntarily, which pisses you yeah. off. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Your eyes start watering. But, but, I, but I realized what Sam talked about either in another interview I believe where it wasn't that bad it wasn't as bad as what you would think it would be like when you're right you're thinking in your own mind man I don't want to get punched in the face I bet that hurts like hell and so forth and yeah it does but it's not the end of the world no. and you can actually if anything it actually heightens you up where now you want to retaliate <laughs> rather than where yeah. you start yeah, yeah you know, I always I always joke about it like fighting's a little like sex. Like, you know, before you do it, it's like there's a lot of imagination. You know what I mean? You're kind of there's a lot of thinking about it and you're wondering and you know, you're confused and and then once you do it, it's like, "Oh yeah, right, right." You know, like you're not turned into something else. It's still you uh, you know, coping uh, with phys- physicality basically. Wasn't Kim Blackburn telling us that since year, that fighting like that? <laughs> well, there is like, yeah, you're you're trading body fluids with a stranger. That's what Randy Couture <laughs> said one time. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me when, like, Forrest Griffin used to say, he, he, I mean, he wasn't ready to go until somebody starts punching him in the face in a fight, and that's when mm-hmm. he would wake up and like, oh, I'm in a fight, yep. and that's got him going. And, and, you know, just the opposite was happening with Frank, I think. And even Frank kind of admitted in the post-fight interview, he's like, yeah, I just want to, you know, kind of feel him out because I know, you know, his cardio can be suspect or whatnot. And just to paraphrase what he was saying. But right. I think Josh also knows that his cardio is suspect. That's the reason why he went right after him. Yeah, <laughs> so, jumped all like, over him, you know. Yeah, so. It, it, it looked like a world beater. You know, it looked great for Barnett. It looks like, the ki- you know, the killer. So good Yeah, exactly. Well, Barnett's a really interesting guy because he's been around so long. 2000. Totally. Like, yeah, and, and he was really good coming out of the gate. I remember watching him in the early UFCs. But it's amazing to me, his longevity. I mean, I, I can't think of anyone else who was around in the early days of Josh Barnett's career, who's still fighting now. Besides, and, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about yeah, it. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's he was a young guy. He's and he's stayed young. Yeah, he's, yeah. Done, he's done well. You know, I mean, he, he would be an interesting guy to see to kind of do a case analysis on 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 his what mindset. if anything. Yeah, his mindset and just his physical training or what he's done to to restore yeah. adequately, just things like that because. It's, it's really interesting. Well, and also he that. is a very like he's a talented guy. Like he's a big man who like no can be light on his feet and he can do, you know, he can mm-hmm. he can move and you know, he's like he's got a lot more size than people realize, I think. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, he's a he he's I think he cuts to get to 265. <laughs> yeah, and and, and right. he was fighting heavier in pride and yep. um he's definitely athletic. Uh so, yeah, I mean it's, he 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 is interesting. It's funny I hadn't really thought of that that he's been around that long, but you're right. No, he's been around for a long time. Oh, yeah. you know, back, back to that whole relaxation, it being too relaxed. 
Do you think that was one of the big factors with Silva's loss to Weidman? No, I think I think Silva uh, is a head case, man. I think he's a nut job. Um, I actually was I was going to write a story about like you know is Anderson Silva batshit crazy? That was going to be the title of the story because you know you think about what happened, you know, in the Cote fight and in in the yeah, yeah, uh, Damian yeah. Maya fight. Damian Maya, you know, he, yeah. Especially that one. He gets that into this this frantic place of rage and and and. Uh, Unless, you know, he does things which are kind of like perfect, um, and you know he's he's had fights that that are sort of, you know, like the definition of like your fantasy of a fight. Like the Forrest Griffin fight is like what you dream about fighting. You know, right. if you ever were going to fight the bully, like you would, you know, he'd never touch you, and you just <laughs> right. casually step out of range and pop him. So you know, he's capable of these things. Um, but I do think, yeah, mentally it's wearing, and there's there's weird stuff going on, and and uh, um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't understand it. I don't speak you know enough Portuguese, and I've never like met or hung out with a guy enough um, that I would that I would have any kind of insight into it. But I definitely think he's I think it's genius too. syndrome, man. I think he's such a genius when it comes to fighting. I mean, the the insanity's there, or since it's like the season for Breaking Bad right now, he's got kind of like Walter White syndrome. You know, here's this mad genius. But every now and then he just snaps <laughs> and it just yeah. goes off. And then he comes back and he's just back to being Walter White, the, the, the chemistry professor. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I do think he was sick of being champ, and I think he's been yeah, sick of it so. for a while. I think, he's, yeah. I think he was, he's been ready to lose it for a while and kind of sick of it and it probably hates training. Um, and then clowning, I, you know, I, I feel like it was almost working. Like I think – there was a moment when Wyden was looking pretty disheartened, but you know he kept at it and he got what he you know he got he got through and uh, and there's a there you know there comes a time in every fighter's life when they get old and they get you know Chuck Liddell looked great until he didn't you know what I mean and, right, and, and, right. and uh, the chin starts to go or or whatever and I'm not I'm not excited about the rematch I don't think he should be coming back I don't think Anderson Silva really wants to come back. It certainly didn't seem like he wanted to after the Weidman fight and in the post-conference yeah. press. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened behind closed doors. I know he has like a 10-fight deal for $80 yeah. Yeah, yeah, million. Yeah. Dollars and, and, you know, who knows what kind of pressure they put on him. But, but uh, you know, yeah, I, don't, I, I think it's too soon. I think he should have taken you – know, here's a perfect example of a guy who probably should take a couple years off. Yeah. Know, maybe he can come oh, yeah. back, but come back in two years, man, and, and, get, and take a real break and let your brain reset and, and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, Dana White being the master promoter he is, there's no way he would let him take two years off. He knows that what a big sell this this fight would be, a rematch here, especially on a of New course, Year's Eve weekend. Yeah, yeah so right. no, you know what? It's, it's funny. not I was always just... about what's the best. What's the, it's not, it's, unfortunately, it's not always what's best for the fighters. It's what's best for the company. It's like, like any company, you know, any company will treat employees the same way. It's about what's best for the company. Well, I was funny because somebody asked me, like, what's a promote? They, what's a, I just met this guy as a boxing promoter, and what's a promoter do? And I said, you know what? A promoter is a little bit like a drug dealer in terms of yeah. you can meet the nicest drug dealer in the world, but he's still a drug dealer. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dana White yeah. might be the nicest promoter in the world, but he's still a promoter. And it, it, there's a certain you know callous disregard for for your employees, and there's a certain kind of that you know that that's what the job is. You know, is you're doing this thing, and uh, you know, and so so he's he's a promoter, man. You know, I mean, there's good and bad there. I remember in the post fight press conference. Silva, the, people ask Silva that question many times. You know, do you want a rematch? He's like, no, no. He's no. like, Weidman's the champion now. He's like, I'll, I'll just fight for fun and this and that. 
And then Dana White's like, oh, no, there's going to oh, be a Oh, you can see Dana's face. Yeah. He's like, no, Dana, Dana's you're like, going to no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dana White's like, no, 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 no. There's going to be a rematch. He's like, right. we're going to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, see, I think you could have gotten away with letting him do super fights, you know, letting him fight at 205 and or whoever, you know, cherry-pick people for him and let him kind of have a, a swan song. But, yeah, you know, they do what they do, man, and, and uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you even got to kind of think about, you know, just from the business aspect of what Dana's doing – this is just my theory. Even when it came down to Ben Henderson and Anthony Pettis, you know, Anthony kind of getting a little bit of the runaround for three years. Mm-hmm. I, I think Dana maybe in hindsight saw like, okay, this is not going to be a really big, big fight as it could be right out of the bat after the WC closed down. Mm-hmm. So after they absorbed that, it's like to have that fight right away, right after that, because you still had a lot of people who watched WEC, you know, who weren't, I mean, who were watching UFC that didn't know anything about the WEC. So oh, they didn't yeah. really, really know anything about these two guys. So I no, think sure. it, was a, it was a matter of let me build this guy up because he is a great fighter. Let me build him up, build both these guys up, let them become household names in their weight divisions, and then let's put this thing back together if nothing bad happens in the process. And right. fortunately, like I said, um, I was texting Mike. I was like, yeah, I'm betting on Pettis because it's just justice, man. This dude, he needs this belt. It's time for him to have this belt because he's kind of got the runaround for the last three years. But, yeah, I, I but, like Pettis too, man. He, oh, I, yeah, and I, yeah. I love this dude's style of fighting, and I yeah, love the fact that, yeah. you know, he, he'll say, hey, hey, man, I'm a fancy fighter. I like to go out and do flashy stuff. And he's not afraid to admit that, but at least it works, you know, for the most part. Even when it looks yeah, like it's a, not working, it's working. <laughs> no, he's that, a monster, man. He's a monster, that kid. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's by far the best 55er, and I think – Oh yeah. I know. I thought that going into the fight, I didn't actually. I wasn't sure he was going to be able to beat Benson, but I was definitely thinking, you know, he is a special guy, and he's on he's on a special level where he is right now. So I think you know, I think it's a bad fight for Aldo. I think it's a great fight. You know, I think he beats. Yeah, me too. Actually, people think Frankie Edgar could beat him. I don't. I don't think so. You know, I think he's just he's just peaking. Everything's clicking. You know, he's physically just dominant and. He's going to be a tough guy to beat, but I have said that before and been wrong, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. things, things evolve and change so fast in that mm-hmm. game that yeah. we could be watching one guy here and then a couple fights, he's, maybe he's a little bit burned out, and then someone else is coming on the scene, and they're totally fresh and hungry, and bam, capitalizing yeah. on that. Yeah, look at – I just wrote a piece on Rob Lawler, you know, and uh, – yeah. Right, right. Because he's an old I'm friend of mine, and, and – yeah, and I mean it's only two wins. He yeah, hey, he you look really good enough. You know, you get the right, you get the right matchup, and and uh, you know, and he looks like a world beater again, and and he's feeling good, and his camp's going good. So you know, it was I'm, I'm stoked because he's an old friend of mine, and it was fun to 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 revisit some of that territory with him. Yeah, I think when we were talking about earlier about just getting to the point where you have those back-to-back losses, and how can how how does it affect them? Another example of that is Ben Henderson, because you heard him just like even on the just in the commercial leading up to the fight in the promo, he kept saying that, you know, he wanted to get that pedestal stain off his soul. You know, you right. got to wonder, like, how big of a part did that still play in this past fight this past weekend? Mm-hmm. The fact that he's like, okay, i got to avenge that loss. I mean, you can't help it. Every time he gets ready, every time Anthony Pettis is getting ready to fight, they're going to show that clip of him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. You see that on the big screen if he's sitting in the audience. You know that's eating away and just eating away and eating away at yeah. him. You know, it's kind of like Sean Salmon. Where's Sean Salmon now? Because every time we see, you know, Rashad, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna get his block knocked off. Yeah, no, I mean to be a highlight reel. My, I was friends with uh, Roy Markham, who was uh, got highlight reeled by Dan Hardy. You know, and they showed that forever. Um, right. And uh, you know, that's I think that's again, you know, we talk about being able to cope with stuff, and and uh, right. you know, and and that this that is the kind of stuff that defines fighters is, is how you cope with that. I, I knew a fighter who I won't even name, but he 
before, before the biggest fight of his life, he, uh, for the weigh-ins, he got drunk. He got wasted and missed weight. You know, and he and he they ended up fighting anyway, but and he lost the fight. But it was like he he's looking for an excuse. You know what I mean? Right. He, he he could the the moment when he wasn't ready for the moment. And I think, um, you know, he he was sort of self sabotaging, and 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 maybe he was more talented than these other guys. But that doesn't matter because you know you can't if you can't handle the moment. Handling the moment is a is a huge part of that. You know, like they they always talk about Matt Lindland. You know, everybody beats mm-hmm. him up in the gym. But very few people beat him on game day. You know what I mean? Right. It was a nightmare. He was a silver medalist and you know, and he is a wrestler, and he was a nightmare in the cage. But then guys would go train with him, and they're like, "Hey, he sucks. He's getting his ass kicked by everybody." But you know, he could he rose to the occasion. He really sort of knew understood the moment. Kind of remember some of the stories that Chris Lieben was talking about in the early parts of his career. He just kind of just didn't take it as seriously. Just really relied like, "Hey, I can just." You know, if I just get a chance, I can pop them with this left, this overhand left, and I can put somebody on their ass and just rely on it and not taking the training seriously or anything like that. But then he kind of realized, like, again, what we talked about earlier, talent is not enough. He had to go really kind of apply himself and change camps up and really work on getting those – really working on those other set of demons that he had, <laughs> not just the ones you saw in, you know, in the house. <laughs> open yeah, so, he's got plenty. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris is one of those guys. It's like you never know which Chris is going to show up to a fight. It's like if I yeah. were betting in Vegas, it's like on a Chris Lehman fight, it's like I don't know which way to go with this because I don't know who's yeah. showing up tonight. Well, I feel like a lot of MMA is a bad bet. You know, it's it's, nope. it's yeah. tough. It's a, oh, it's I, not like, I feel like boxing boxing you can you can bet on. I mean, I think you can kind of pick the right guy, you know, maybe right, yeah. 80% of the time or something like yeah, that. But, yeah. but, boy, MMA, it's like – I think the better guy wins about seventy five percent of the time, maybe or something right. like that. You know, it's it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah anything can happen, but that that definitely yeah. is one of the things that makes it really exciting. But oh yeah, I know I know all too well that <laughs> about yeah, being on the losing side of that. <laughs> well, it's like it's like betting on it. You know, it's like I do the fantasy picks. And I let Mike go out, and you know, I let him yeah, go yeah, out yeah. In front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay behind him. It's like it's like poker a little bit. Like there's a you know there's a lot of skill, but there's also a, a huge uh, a huge luck luck component. You know, crappy things happen and and people slip and you know all kinds of things can happen. Right, exactly. What what do you think that are some of the lessons that you picked up from the fighter's mind that could be carried over to other areas in life? Yeah, I mean, there's I think a lot of them, and, and I think uh, you know the, I've gotten some good feedback on that book just from people that are sort of saying you know that. You know, for instance, coming back from a loss and and, uh, and how these fighters do it in this arena of of that's that's so it's so obvious. You know that they can sort of take the lesson and and, uh, and incorporate it. And, and a lot of you know a lot of fighters' mind, I, I feel like, was written sort of uh, personally. You know, in terms of it's for you to to listen and and find what what suits you. You know what I mean? There's certain things right. that work for for everybody. Um, for me, there was you know I guess. You know, learning from learning from loss, and and uh, and then and then you know, for instance, in raising my kid, you know, it's like I have a four-year-old, almost five-year-old now, and it's like you know, I'm not. <clears throat> what I think, you know, I think having a work ethic is is the most important thing I can do for him. You know, if he can right. see what hard work is and enjoy hard work, then it doesn't matter if he's smart. You know what I mean? If he enjoys hard work, he'll be all right. You know, even if he's dumb, even if he's, you know, if he's not not rich or not successful, as long as he enjoys working hard, he'll survive. You know, and, and I right. think not having that entitlement that you know you guys have been talking about, and not having, right. oh, I'm owed this, um, is, is is that, and that's what's crippling to kids. It destroys kids. You see it. No, I agree. People. Yeah, I think I don't think and, people realize how important hard work is just for your mood as well. 
huge. When, when you put in, like when I, when I, like Sincere and I talk about this all the time, when, when, you, when we go teach workshops and you know, we just lay it all down there, work really hard, and then people always leave feeling really good about the whole experience. So, so it's gratifying on many levels. But you feel really tired after teaching a course, but you also feel fantastic. Your mood is good because you know you did something that was worthwhile for you and the people attending. So it's just a win-win all around. And I've gone through periods of my life where I've just taken time off and just relaxed, which is important. But if you take that too far, it actually starts affecting your mood in a negative yeah, it feels way. Very debil- I, yeah, I start thinking, it's like, yeah, it's like you're unproductive for too long. It's good to be unproductive every once in a while just to give yourself a, a mental reset. But if you do it for too long, then it starts – you start waking up without any purpose. You wake up. You're kind yeah. of – you're mildly depressed. You're like, oh, what am I going to do today? What do I need to do? Oh, I guess I don't need to do anything today. And you kind of just go into this coasting mode. And I feel that people that are just coasting through life, there's no way you're not going to be mildly depressed or severely Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's corrosive. I agree totally. I mean I have to – I really have to write something every morning. I get up early and I work for a couple hours sort of before everybody else does. And if I, I feel like a good person. I feel like a human being. Right. You know, it <laughs> if I'm writing something that's never going to get published, no one's ever going to give me money for it. It doesn't matter. Like something's got to get you know, produced. Um, and and then I feel all right, you know, and then I can get on with my day. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, that was kind of like my whole philosophy was the world is made of fire, which was this idea um, to quote from a book by uh, Mark Halpern called The Soldier in a Great War. And I got it, you know, tattooed on me and all kinds of stuff. But it was uh, this sort of idea that, you know, people think that they're – protecting themselves and 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 they're taking care of themselves when actually they're they're risking everything by by not pushing themselves and by not taking risks wow. you're risking your soul you know you're risking yeah. Yeah. your humanity you're risking kind of your your essence um and that you have to kind of you know and i think you guys understand that and i think that's this is you know people that realize it realize it and and and, mm-hmm. and know and that's why they get hooked on you know, adrenaline and pushing themselves and, and putting themselves in situations that are difficult because, you know, that's how you feel alive and that's how you sort of should live, in my opinion, you know, life aggressively, right? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that's, that's one thing, man. Just looking at your background, I mean, you've gone from going to Harvard to being a cowboy in Montana. <laughs> so <laughs> how about that, Mike? <laughs> Bringing up Montana again. <laughs> so, you know, working in the South Pole, man, you, you've been a hot shot. Um, you've worked on these yachts. So, you, I mean, there's pretty much, I mean, dude, you've done a lot in what most people can consider a short amount of time. So, it, so again, what keeps you going? I mean, and how those experiences played out in your experience now, especially being a father now, like how's that play, played out for you? It's definitely changed. You know, being a father has changed changed things. You know, that mm-hmm. it's obviously it does. And, and I think it's it's there's a time for it. You know, when you're ready. And I think right. uh, even when you're not ready, it's like getting a dog. You're never quite ready. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but you gotta you just gotta do it. You know, I pull triggers, man. Right, That's what right. I do. I pull triggers. You know, you gotta make right, shit happen. Right. And uh, right. I was I was you know I was a little uh, nervous about it going in and not quite ready, but. Um, you know, I've always it's it's it, when you know you look at my resume and it seems a little ridiculous at times, but really everything kind of one thing led to another, and it was always just you know luckily uh, you know my parents were like cool go do it and and uh, you know even at a young age and um, I was making money and I could I could support myself and 
I was always just picking the coolest thing I could, you know, could could do, you know, and and figure out. And and uh, I would I would try to get 10, 12, 15 different jobs, and one of them would work out, and that would be the one, you know. So it wasn't like I just sort of lucked into anything, you know. It was you had to kind of. I mean, that's what I talk to to kids that are getting out of college now, and it's like. Yeah, you, you can get these jobs, but it's not easy, and you gotta kind of, you know, work at it. You know, every day you gotta spend a couple of hours making calls and sending your resume, and you know that's your job is trying to get those jobs. Right, and, right, and, exactly. Until you, until you get them, you know, and 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 you need a list and check that everybody's name on that list every day that you've called and bothered them about that South Pole job or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, it's a lot different now. I mean, I can't go for the same amount of time, and I don't want to go. You know, and that was kind of Disaster Diaries was this. You know, a lot of it, the impetus behind the book was, hey, I'm responsible for a family. Like, you know, there's one thing when you're by yourself because you're, you know, we all have a fairly high level of confidence in terms of, ah, man, I'll be all right. You know, if hey, the zombies come, you know, whatever. You know, it's, I'm pretty <laughs> tough. I can run. I can swim. The tsunami comes. I'm I'm a good swimmer. You know, I'll be all right. <laughs> but uh, but having kids really change. You know, having a kid and and a, and a wife to sort of look after, and that you're the guy. You're the responsible guy. You know, that really was sort of what drove that book and kind of getting into some of these things that I that I sort of had a, had a, a little acquaintance with, but right. kind of becoming more more involved in. And, and uh, it was a blast. I mean, it was super fun to do. But uh, it was definitely it came from that. <clears throat> sort of fear and uh, awareness place of the new responsibilities of fatherhood. So yeah, I don't go away for as long, and, and uh, I haven't been anywhere in a while now. You know, I've been in LA, um, sort of in the next the next chapter. You know, the next stage. Yeah, so, it was so funny that you brought that up. Even during all the time, you know, everybody's getting ready for the mine apocalypse and all this other madness. Just like we got a situation going on now with Syria and everything in World War Three and all this other madness. But it's like I was telling Mike right before the call. Just the concept of your book applies, even for someone like me who lives in Houston. Well, I'm in the Gulf Coast. At least every other year I'm threatened with a disaster because it's hurricane season. Right. So totally, that yeah. right there is an apocalyptic. That can be apocalyptic right there. I mean, I was I actually my first hurricane that I actually lived through that I actually finally experienced being here in Houston. And I've been here since 1990. I came here for, for college. I had just missed Hurricane Alicia, which Everyone that lived here was saying, like, oh, that one was, like, one of the worst. So I actually was here during Hurricane Ike. Didn't hit Houston as hard, but it really, really messed Galveston up, which is about 45 minutes right. away. What people don't understand, that 45 minutes for us is not that far away. And it was the storm surges. It's, the biggest thing was the storm surges. So, of course, the first time there was a couple of threats a couple years before that with Hurricane Rita and then Hurricane Katrina being right next door. That was the first time I've ever been in those situations. So, of course, you, never, you haven't been in that. That fear kicks in like, it's a hurricane coming. It's a killer hurricane coming. Let's mm-hmm. evacuate. Probably the worst thing you could have ever done. So many people were stuck on the freeway. During, right. And Rita was right after Katrina. People, people were stuck on that freeway for hours. I'm talking like 12, 14, like a lot of time. Luckily for yeah. me, I had a way to get off, and I took a back way to a friend's um, mom's house, and we ended up staying there. So we, and it was a big disaster. It was all over the news. I learned from that. So at this point, it's like, okay, when the threat of a hurricane hike was coming, you know, my wife now, at the time, I was like, okay, I'm not evacuating this time. Okay, so this is what the storm surge looks like. Here's, this is what we're going to do. And one thing I like to say here in the South, we're just going to hunker down, which is, they love saying that when it's a storm coming up. So, yeah, right. we just, we're going to stay right here and we just prepare. Check it out. Got a radio, actually, that uses batteries. This is a transistor radio, baby. You ever seen one of these before? <laughs> so I'm joking about that. And, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, you know, we already, I already had plenty of water and things like that, all the necessities before that. And so we wouldn't end up being the ass clown running to the grocery store and the shelves are all empty. 
which that right. was just comedy in itself, just to watch everyone trying to wait to the last minute. And same thing with this apocalypse that everybody thought was going to happen on last December. You would see all these people stocking up on all this food and going to Costco and all this. So now you're stuck with all this damn food in your house. Here it is. Right. <laughs> it's like September now, almost a year later. Now what? So no, thing, totally. When you have to leave that house, are you going to carry all that food with you? <laughs> so yeah. You gonna, so my thing is I'm actually happy that I grew up in a small East Texas town where I learned how to hunt. I learned how to fish. I used to go camping. I used to go out in the woods and make traps and things like that because I feel like those skills could be a lot more beneficial than just to buy a bunch of food in a house that you may not necessarily get to keep. Somebody might come and commandeer that bad boy if something <laughs> if ish were to hit the fan. Okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's just even, the, you know, kind of understanding what, what that's about. I mean, you've been camping, you know, like a lot of people have never even been camping, you know, so there's just like this kind of, you know, this, this lack of awareness and this, and this you know, and then, you know, the belief that everything, every, someone's going to come save me if I need it. And, you know, we deal with it out here. We have the big one, you know, which is going to happen in any, any moment. You know, we're overdue. So, yeah. you know, and I, I tell everybody I talk to, it's like you got to have, you know, it's just California, you have – you know, have a month's worth of water in your house, and mm-hmm. nobody does it. You know what I mean? Nobody will do it. You know, but it's it's it is what it is. You know, it's definitely uh, you know I think just having a little bit of knowledge, you know, and a little bit of preparation can be huge. You know, even if you get stuck in your car, you know, I have a little little go bag in the car, enough food and water for a couple of days. You know, so right. hey, you know that's it turns something that could be awful into just a just discomfort. You know. Yeah, even when you discuss things like it's so funny talking about like EMPs or solar flares or someone, you know, my buddy always joked about, like, the last car we had, this little high-priced foreign car, my buddy's to laugh, I was telling him, he said, yeah, it's a big giant paperweight, if there ever be an EMP or a solar flare. Now, of course, anyone listening to the conversation, like, oh, the tinfoil hat guys are talking again. But here's the thing, the solar flare situation is, it's just, it's inevitable. The sun, it happens with the sun. That's just science, right. and that's what it's been doing. Now, EMPs, okay, it may not be season three or 24. It may not happen, <laughs> where everything <laughs> with a circuit board just pretty much goes to dust. Or everything becomes like the show Revolution. A solar flare can happen. It's happened. It happens at least every two or three years. It's, it's where it interrupts with our communication with our phones or whatnot. So just imagine people having to deal with the fact that no one's cell phone is working. What are you going to do? How are you going to communicate? You can't right. go on Facebook and ask for help. <laughs> you can't even log on or anything. Yeah, and, and I definitely, you know, was was very interested in this. I think you know you can go right down the wormhole, right? You know, when you start start right. scenarioing things, because there's there's literally a hundred ways that shit could go terribly, terribly wrong. You know what I mean? You can get into all kinds of things, and that was where I kind of went with the preparation thing being. Just because you don't know for sure what's coming, uh, you know, you you it might not be time to bunker up. You know, you mm-hmm. you might not want to. So you do certain things, but you know, to 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 invest a hundred thousand dollars in building a backyard bunker might not be the move. You know what I mean? Right. Instead, instead that's invest in yourself and your training and your, you know, and and also you know make your life better, make yourself sleep better. You know, if you're if you're just getting more scared, that's what I would think I would see in those those shows. It's like yeah, if you're just man. terrifying yourself. That's not it, man. You know, that, then don't do that, you know. I mean, why not invest some of those hundred thousands of dollars instead of buying all that stuff and all the has gear and all that? Okay, well, if stuff hits the fan, most likely it's hitting the fan for other people, too. So guess what? They're going to go try to find some resources wherever they can, which could be your house. So right. especially if they know you're, like, buying all this, these MREs and you've got a <laughs> bunker and all this, 
So you're you're the go-to place, you know, and you may think that you're off the grid, but now your dumbass is on this show. You're not off the grid anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, no, we all totally. know where you are. I can find you on YouTube now. So right, right, you, right. Why don't invest some of that money? Why don't you go and learn jujitsu? Because yeah, you might end up having to scuffle with somebody, end up on the ground. Why don't you right. go and take a concealed carry class, learn how to shoot? Why don't you go learn how to shoot a crossbow? Why don't you take some hunting classes, or things like that? Learn those yeah. things. So therefore, even after shit hits the fan, what are you gonna do after everything comes? down from the fan so when right. all this madness is over what are you gonna do in the next the, in the next chapter <laughs> okay are you just yeah. going around starving begging for food what, what are you gonna do yeah so, yeah no it's, it's, it's fun stuff you know and i think no totally and, and i think it's it's, it's like you know it's like everything like if, you, if you're not enjoying the process rethink it man because that was a, one of the funniest things that i actually didn't get to write about too much was when you start to get into um you know doom and gloom scenarios and apocalypse mm-hmm. i mean it's just people have been convinced the world is ending <laughs> every two years for thousands oh, yeah. of years you know what i mean and they've always been wrong before and there's a good chance that they're going to be wrong again so you know it's like don't sell the farm martha you know what i mean it's like people you know it, you know people are ready for the end and they're you know it's like it just it, it looks scary now, but uh, you know it's certainly we're not in as scary a time as you know the Cold War, you know with exactly. all those you know Russian right, nukes pointing right. at us and and Gorbachev and I mean uh, you know Khrushchev, Khrushchev. saying bury us right. or whatever you know and and that whole scene. So it's it's like uh, it's just it's easy to to kind of to get into the the fear world and and I think it's kind of yeah, can you just imagine being in Germany in the, in the early 40s and late 30s? You want to talk yeah. about the end of the world? Okay, yeah. your so, world you know, did end. Or, well, that's the other know, thing too. You talk about, you know, you talk about the hurricanes coming. It's like this is actually I, I actually cut from the book because it was a little too dark. But it's, you know, we're all facing a, an apocalypse. You're gonna die. You know yeah. what I mean? It's coming, <laughs> dude. Right. Like right. it's gonna happen. It's, you know, that's the one thing I can absolutely guarantee you 100% <laughs> that you will die. So, you know, I think uh, it's just it's trying to enjoy life until <laughs> until that happens, yeah, right? Think, you know. There you go. I mean, positive you can take from that is that just going back to what you said, if you if you if you wait until you think you're ready for everything, you're never going to do anything. Right. So like a lot of things in life, you just have to do it whether you're ready or not, because mm-hmm. otherwise your whole life is going to pass you by. Like you said, I yeah. think I think when you know you're going to die and it's going to end, I think most people don't think that way. I mean, you know, you know in the back of your mind that sure you're going to get old and die at some yeah, point. You can't or think you, that or way. You, or you're going to die from an accident, and so forth. But I yeah. think I think a lot of us, they, you just look at what's going on right now, and, and part of you just assumes like, oh, it's always going to be good like this, or it's going to get better than this. Right. And, and I've, I've got plenty of time. I don't need to do it today. I can always do it tomorrow or next week, next month. Right. I mean, it's, sure. it's easier for us to procrastinate a great deal, but I think that's the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they always feel like they have to wait until they, they feel they're perfectly ready. And that's, right. that's like, a, that's the biggest illusion ever. That's like seeing water in the desert because it's, it's you're never going to be a hundred percent ready. I mean, right. I can't well, do it. I couldn't agree more. I, and I do it all the time. I'm always like, I'm not quite ready. I'm not, you know, and like, you yeah, just got to do it, man. You know, you, know, you got to do it when I you're not ready, anytime man. I, yeah, anytime I've done something, it's never been from a place of, oh, yeah, I'm ready to do this now. No. It's always been, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. And then you say, screw it. Just pull it. And that's one thing why I actually like gambling a little bit. That's why I like playing blackjack. Right. I like betting on the UFC because I, I like getting comfortable with taking risks. And, I, and yeah, right. when, I, when I see people that are very fearful of any form of gambling, and I'm not saying, you know, go out there and put your life savings on a roulette table, but I'm just saying that when, when you can go play blackjack and lose some money, whether it's a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks, you know, whatever you find significant, and you're okay with that, 
it's 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 it makes you less risk adverse in other arenas of your life. Like there's a lot of things yeah. I do in my business where I'm going, you know what, I'm gonna start my own supplement line and people are like, Oh, that's way too risky and look how many people have failed doing that. I was like, I'm not worried about that. I did the research, I know what I'm doing. But it's still a risk. You know, they are right to some degree. It's a risk. You put a bunch of money down, you do the research, you hope it's gonna work out, but there's a chance that it's not gonna work out at all. But the things like that don't bother me. If it doesn't work out, then I go, Okay, you know what? That didn't work out. So let's roll the dice on something else. Yep. You know, that's, think, that's, the, that's the best advertisement for gambling I've ever heard. <laughs> that's a great. Yeah. You should be. A, you should put you on that. Uh, what happens in Vegas? I mean, that's a great. I, I agree, man. No, that's, that's awesome. I think, what, I think what people don't realize is that your whole life is a gamble. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not any more of a sure thing. So it's like me going and playing blackjack. There's a higher percentage that I'll win doing that than probably anything else I do. You know, <laughs> right, right. Most of the things I try to do are. I mean. It's, it's fairly far-fetched that it's going to work out, but you, you just have to have the vision to make it happen. But I think everything in life is a gamble. Even if you're someone like Sincere saying, you, you just try to play everything safe. Well, now, now you're gambling with the strong possibility that you're never going to have any excitement or any fulfillment. Right. <laughs> so that's yeah, a gamble. Yeah. And what comes with that is I think the reason why folks would rather sit there and be safe because if they make them feel like they have some itty-bitty piece of control. I always tell people, like, oh, I don't want to fly because, you know, the plane could crash. I said, don't you drive every day? You know, there's a high instances of car crashes than there are plane crashes. But I think the problem is when you get on that plane, you're not the one flying. So you're not mm-hmm. the one that say, like, oh, okay, I'm going to avoid turbulence over here. I'm going to move, go yeah. this way. I'm a little bit more to the I, left. I, and, I, I, okay, I'm there's glad. a bird. Let me go over the bird. No. Yeah, so they feel like they have more control when they're in a car. But I'm like, you're not you, – you may be able to control your car, but you're not controlling the idiot next to you who's going to cut sure. you off who's texting and driving, who hits his brakes for no reason at all. So, and you can't move because there's an 18-wheeler on the left of you, so you can't just swerve to the left. It's just this, this illusion of control that makes you feel that they feel safe. Go out and do something very uncomfortable each and every day. Some, do something every day that scares the shit out of you. Work it's funny, you know, I, I actually ended the book with like, it's some, you know, because it's, it's a little preparation, it's a little bit like being a parent, which is at some point you got to let go and trust that you're not going to oh, yeah. get totally screwed. You know parent, what I mean? At some point you can't control everything. Yep. And and parenthood is a great, you know, a great example of that. And and so is, you know, everything, like everything you do in your life, which is what you guys are talking about. You know, there's a certain point where you have to, you know, hope for the best. Yeah, you just have to trust that you've done the best that you could as a parent mm-hmm. to teach them the best that you can. And then at that point, hey, you got to cut them loose. And the best example, I always talk to my wife about this. I even tell my kids, the best example of this, is animals. You don't see a, a mother lion hovering over another lion once there's no longer a cub. It's mm. like, get your ass out of here, go out to the jungle, start your own herd now, get out of here. Mm. <laughs> you got to go because you're starting to cut into our food supply now. And I got to feed your right. new little baby brothers and sisters, and I can't have your big hungry ass eating the antelope. <laughs> so you right. got to go. So, and, and that's the problem. So many parents don't want to let go. They want to harbor and protect and protect and protect. But at some point, you got to let them just go out and they have to, they have to live. And they can't live mm-hmm. if you're smothering the crap out of them. So, oh, absolutely. The on that is we, have, we have so many young adults who don't want to let go. They move back in with their parents and they lose a job. <laughs> oh, or, you know, or maybe they never moved out. You know, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I'm in the basement, yo. <laughs> I'm independent. I don't live with so, them. I live in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, I stay at the house. I, stay at the, I don't live at home. I stay at the house. I, no, I mean, I think, <laughs> but you know what, I also feel like this, I mean, this gets into a whole different topic, but I kind of feel like, you know, when I think about what my, parent, what my parents did, you know, they could buy a house, and like, right. what it takes for me to buy a house is like, you know, what, I got to win the lottery, you know what I mean, like, in, in Santa Monica, I have to buy, it's like, you know, it's, 
the, 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 picture, the economic picture has changed that a, a, one person having a job could support a family and buy a house, you know. So there's, there's other buy, factors there. But, yeah, it's, it's a weird scene. You can buy a house out here, Sam, if you ever want. No, to. I know. I mean, well, yeah, I, I, that would that would be uh, that 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 could happen, you know. Yeah, come on. My accountant tells me he's like, "Why don't you house out here, <laughs> where we're just pretty much giving them away." <laughs> I know, I know. You're trapped. That by doesn't location. mean everybody moves to Houston and start calling me like, "Hey, man, what you doing? I want to come over." <laughs> I heard you got a line on some places. <laughs> no, but I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make is feeling that they want what they call sure things. Now, I, I know there, there aren't any sure things, but people feel I'm going to go work for someone else in this big corporation because I want safety and security. When, as we know, with the recent recession, those companies can go under all the time. You're fired. Mm. And now it's been a year of job searching and you still haven't found anything. Right. Well, if you actually built your own business, when the recession hits, you can kind of steer that way. You can, you can steer the glider right. so that you go in a different direction. You can come up with innovative ideas to stay on course. You know, your income is not going to go from whatever it is to zero, bam, just like that. So you, right. you kind right. of have more. So you, I, I feel that I actually have way more security as a guy who runs my own business than I ever did working for someone else. Because right. I have there's oh, yeah. a lot more I can do to increase my income or go in the different directions and just steer the ship in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, who wants to sit no, there and wait until December to get like a five, ten cent raise when <laughs> I can get myself a raise every month if I feel like it. I just create something else or I'll raise prices or anything all, like that. It's all on you. That's what I like. Exactly. Here, is that right. When you're an entrepreneur, when things are going well, Okay, you can take pride in that success, but when things are not going well, guess whose fault it is? Yours. Yeah, you know, you never get a break either. That's what yeah. being self-employed is all about. You never really yeah. get a break. I have this conversation with people who want to be writers sometimes, which is, yeah. you know, I want to be a writer, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but you you got to be kind of comfortable with not knowing what's happening in six months. You know what I mean? you got to be comfortable with, right. with no security and no, you know, if I can't sell my next book – you know, I'm out of luck, man. What am I going to do? Go, I can go be a carpenter. You know, I can go labor. I can go pick up stuff, you know, um, right. but that's it, you know. So, so I think, uh, <clears throat> not everybody is willing to, to do that trade, you know, not ever, a lot of people, um, you know, aren't comfortable with, with the insecurity. And so they should not be, you know, in the creative field, you know, necessarily right, right. because it's just too, it's just, oh, sure. it's just, Unless that that anxiety, you if you can make it excitement, great. You know, if it's just anxiety and it just makes you miserable, like, and I've seen it. You know, people yeah. even yeah. that had yeah. some success because you know it, it's 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 continuous and it's sort of always happening, and you have to enjoy that part of the process, the sh- the bad parts. Um, you know, the parts where you don't have a job and you're not getting any money and you're you're, trying, you're hustling. You have to enjoy that too, or else you know it's oh, yeah. probably better to to get something with a little more security, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Ironically, I think a lot of people look back and, and miss those times, miss those times when they were just at that bottom phase and trying to work their way up and scraping through and all that. And, it's, and it sounds crazy to anyone who hasn't experienced that, but those are, those are often some of the most exciting times in your entrepreneurial endeavors. When you're in that early stage of not knowing whether you're going to be able to pull it off or not. So every day you're mm-hmm. waking up with that intensity and then once you, once you start having a certain level of success, then the next challenge becomes, okay, how do I keep that edge? Because now it's a lot easier to just wake up and look at how, whatever income came in while you're sleeping and say, oh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and take today off. I'm just going to kick back. I don't need to do anything now. I'm just going right. to relax. Something about that challenge, man, and just it's kind of like going back to the fighters. Every fight that they take on is a new challenge for them. And I think that's what really fuels these guys. That's what they say, hey, I love the fight. I love the fight. It's this, this ongoing chess match for them. 
So even as an entrepreneur, just sitting there and you're coming up with something new or taking a different aspect with your business, going a different corner with that, it gets exciting because that anxiety there is this adrenaline like, shit, is this going to work? I don't know. The only way I'm going to know is if I do it. Otherwise, I'll never know if it worked or not, which as an entrepreneur, that's the suckiest feeling ever. Right. <laughs> to sit there and just never pull the trigger on something. Just like you come up with something and right. in your mind it could be the greatest idea or it could be lame. But the thing is, you'll never know. And a lot of times the lame one is the one that's the greatest idea. And that great idea is the one that didn't work. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, you didn't like that? That was my best stuff, man. Come on. Yeah. yeah. No, you never know. It's funny. Yeah. I, I have the same thing, which is I, I get it, you know, it's a little bit different in that, but I get, you know, I'm into something with the steep learning curve, you know, so like a new skill or, you know, for instance, I got out of college and I started working on sailboats, you know, I had to learn, you know, like a, uh, several thousand new words, you know, within right. a few a few weeks just because the whole, the vocabulary is so different. And, and uh, you know, I'd done some sailing, but I wasn't at all professional. So mm-hmm. there was, a, and then, you know, after about three or four years of it, it the, the curve starts to taper off. And listen, I'm not like the world's greatest sailor. You know, I'm not, you know, there's a lot of places I could have gone if I'd chosen to stick with that. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it just gets a little, it gets a little old. So you see, so, so it's fun to, to move on into, into new things and, you know, totally new learning experiences and just have a steep learning curve. And it's kind of like what you're talking about with a new product or a new idea. It's, that's where you're alive is, you know, in that kind of challenge, rising. You know, I think that's an organism. You know, humans are that organism that 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 needs the challenge. You know, that you need a little adversity to to flourish. Hey man, if we didn't like challenges, we we'd all still be amoeba right now. Yeah, right. I mean, it's yeah, just like exactly. physical training, right? You don't get stronger using the same amount of resistance and intensity week after week, month after month. You have to right. keep trying to up it up or increase the weight or the repetitions or lower the brake, you have to find some barometer of moving forward, otherwise it just goes stale. So I think right. life in general is like that too, and it's, it's, all too, it's all too easy to work hard, reach a certain level of success, and then you're going to have to go back to that hard work phase again and say, oh, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have mm-hmm. to go through what I just did to get to this point, so now you just end up coasting. So that, that's the other thing I've seen happen to quite a few entrepreneurs is they come out of the gate with that super hard work ethic, they have a certain level of success, and then they don't want to go back to that work ethic that got them there, there to go right. to the next level. Yeah, they don't and want that pain. Mm-hmm. They don't want to experience that pain again, like we were talking yep. about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that happens to fighters too. I think that's one of the things. Happens where, to everybody. I think everybody. Yeah. You know, you, you, the, you're pain adverse. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right, you resist. Right. If something was awful, like you're not hot to go do it again. You know. Right. Um, but sometimes you got to, you just got to make it a little different. You know, for certainly like you know when I did was a I did a hotshot wildland firefighting. Uh, yeah. You know, it was it was awesome. Uh be real tough to get me to do it again, you know what I mean? It's right. pretty a lot of it's pretty miserable. So, you know, you can do that a couple times, particularly when you're young, and then it gets it gets tougher. You know, you start I'm not going to sleep on couches anymore. I'm going to I'm going to get a hotel room, thanks guys, and you know, that kind of thing, you know, and uh it just changes, you know, you have to kind of keep. But I think there's always a a place to take it, right? Of of that's still a challenge and still still putting you to work. You know, that's kind of what I enjoy about being a writer is that, you know, I'm going to do it forever. I have, I don't think there's any reason to really retire until you drop dead in that field. And it seems so, like yeah, with I, you also, you go into completely different topics. So you're not pigeonholing yourself where you're saying, okay, I'm the guy known as the fighter's mind guy. So now every book I write has to be about that. It seems yeah. like you have, you have the courage to go into totally different topics. I mean, there may be some underlying threads of similarity, but for the most part, the disaster diaries is going to hit a different audience probably than the fighter's mind did. Uh, and there'll be some crossover from fans of yours, 
but it seems like you have the courage to go in the totally different arenas. And I think that's part of the other reason that keeps it exciting for you. Yeah, Sam, how was that, man? How was it like for the folks that followed you with uh, Fighter's Heart and the Fighter's Mind and when you came out with the Disaster Diaries, like, you know, what was their feedback with that? Since it was kind of deep down to the surface, yeah, there's still a common denominator amongst the three. But to right. those who kind of just see it from that just that easy level of seeing where those first two books came from, like, wait a minute, man, what, is, what does this have to do with MMA? Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it actually was one of those things that you you expect, you know, to ha- get some feedback or some problems with, and, and you never get it. You know, like there's certain things that are funny you think. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I wrote about uh, – in The Fighter's Heart, I wrote about dogfighting, um, and it was right when the Michael Vick thing was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get picketed, and, and uh, people are going <laughs> to give me a hard time. No one ever gave me a hard time, ever, not once, like in any interview. In, in, like no one even mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so weird. You're like, I'm sure this is going to be a problem. Yeah. And uh, it just it completely was. I mean, I don't, I've never read anything else about dogfighting in my life, you know, in nonfiction, fiction. You know, right. I, I've never seen anybody else do it. I just don't know why. I think possibly because my attitude was sort of good about it or something like that. And, you know, the kind of what the, the meaning that I was going for came through clearly. And so people didn't think I was defending dogfighting or something. But um, right. so, yeah, this for Disaster Diaries, you know, I think – I think they're close enough that that the people who bought my other books were were kind of were cool with it and and uh, and understood kind of what I was doing and <clears throat> you know I I don't know man I didn't really get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know MMA guff about it or anything like that and uh, you know I certainly didn't want to be just you know an MMA writer that was something right. that I kind of I didn't right. want to turn into you know. Uh, um, you know, one of those Bert, the Burt Sugar of of MMA or something like that. You know, which is yeah. great. God bless him. You know what I mean. But it's just uh, it wasn't sort of my thing, and I wanted to to you know I have a lot of a lot of interest that I was that I really yeah. You've done you've done some acting. Didn't you get nominated for an Academy Award for playing yourself in the movie Warrior? I did. I was nominated. <laughs> if nominated, I will not serve. That was a very authentic portrayal of yourself. That was a very yeah, it was a big stretch for me. That was a real stretch. I really pushed myself. I pushed my limits. No, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. So so that was Warrior. I played myself as yeah, a, yeah. as an announcer in Warrior, and it was it was a blast. Um, that, was, that, was, that was a good movie. I like that movie. Oh yeah. Well, you know what? The, it was it was great. It was super fun to be a part of, and it was it was really fun too because uh, I'm friends with the writer and the director. And Brian Callen, who was the other announcer, yeah, um, right, is a right. comedian, yeah. and he yeah, and he yeah, traded yeah. Henzo's yeah. for a while, and he's you know, a yeah. big fan of the fight game and stuff, and he knows Joe. He's best friends with Joe Rogan. Right, right. We both sort of knew you know as much as the writers did about MMA, uh, so we got to kind of rewrite all our dialogue, um, you know, and and. and and sort of we hit the bases they wanted to hit, but it was sort of like they would put, you know, words in our mouth. And I, I'm not an actor, so, you know, I was like, I can't. I'm sorry, guys. You know, I can't do it. You know, it sounds stupid if I do it this way. So I'm just going to do it. And everybody was happy with it, and it was great. You know, it was super fun. We rehearsed it a lot, and then, you know, we shot a couple of days. We were out there for months. It was a blast. It was a good time. Have you done any other film? Very little. I did some, you know, there's a, there's a, and so in Fighter's Heart, I was part of uh, uh, the stunt team for a, a B-movie called Bobby Z, which okay. was, uh, you know, straight to video, one of these strange deals where a lot of money went to producers and the movie was very small and went right to video and you wonder kind of what's going on <laughs> behind the scenes, but, <laughs> but it, yeah, and it was, it was a, 
uh, a, a project that had been around for a while and all this stuff. But um, yeah, so I did some stunts on that, and I actually got my SAG card, which is sort of a uh, you know you know it's expensive. Makes it legit, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm t- uh, you know for a while it's hilarious. For a while because I worked so many days on Warrior, I had SAG health insurance, health insurance, which is like you got to be a pretty working actor to get. You know, there's a lot of actors oh. that don't have it. So right, right. I was except uh, yeah. we worked months on that thing, so it was fun. Cool, man. So what what do you have coming up next? Next, another book project? What's coming up? Um, you know, I've always again, like you know, it's 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 a sort of a similar similar thing to to the job thing, which is you got to have about ten plates spinning on poles, you know, and you got to <laughs> right. keep spinning them all um, to get anything to work out. So I'm doing, I'm I'm living in L.A. now, and I have a well, wife and child, and I'm I'm writing uh, all all the time, um, some book stuff and some <clears throat> some other stuff, some you know, film and TV and projects and. There's always uh, reality TV people around. Uh, you know, forever I've been taking those meetings and stuff, um, which are hilarious because it's, <laughs> it's like a new reality you know TV production company comes in and they're super excited and they call you. Oh, they call you five times a week, you know, and then slowly the calls start coming in less. <laughs> never hear from them again. Three months later, they never call you again. You know what I mean? Hey, like that's, they, happened, they, that's happened to me twice, actually. I had a company contact me, and they wanted me to be a host of a, a reality TV show where you cover different fitness themes each episode. And I was like, yeah, this sounds great. It's kind of show I would right. do myself. And I was all excited about it. And like you said, you have, you're having these calls every week, and then all of a sudden you're calling them. They're not calling you back. Then <laughs> you're emailing them and it's bouncing. And, and then all well, you know what, you, yeah, you know what they, I call them. They basically, can I swear in this show? I don't know. If oh you yeah, know. oh yeah. All right. So they they, they just they're so they, they just throw shit against the wall. You know what I mean? They're exactly. shit throwers. Like and exactly. what happened is they they took your show and they pitched it and somebody said no and then they're done. Like they got to move on. Like and that's what it's funny because that's not only what TV producers do. That's what the networks are doing, you know what I mean? They're like, ah, oh, you know, storage wars. They're like, oh, Cajun storage wars, you know, and like, ah, oh, it didn't work, so let's try something else, you know. So it's just right, right. nobody knows really what's going to succeed, so they're just constantly the, – the, the guys who do it all, for a living, they're just hustling and, and throwing shit against the wall all the time. And right. I mean, I've had it happen, like, I'm not exaggerating, like 15 times. Mm. With different companies, so get used to it. You know, as you as you continue to succeed and have a have a niche, you will get more and more of it. And, and uh, you know, maybe one of these days it all works out. You know, who knows? <laughs> maybe the shit actually stay on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe you're uh, you're the next Anthony Bourdain, or you're you know whatever. You know, it's it's all uh, it's all kind of out there. Maybe one of those things where it's it's for your best interest that it doesn't work out because who knows? But <laughs> you may get involved with some show and then. You're you're presented in a certain way where your credibility is destroyed. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it yeah, it's kind of like you know the real kettlebell lifters of the Jersey Shore, huh, Mike? <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah. well, it's something you got to be aware of. You know what I mean? And you yeah. want control, and you're not might not get it. And you know, it's you got to look at the the company that's doing it and their track record. And you know what? And a lot of people will talk like they're gonna they want to do something cool, and they don't. You know, they really want right. to do the real housewives of of the kettlebell world or whatever, you know what I mean? They, yeah. that's what and they, that's sort of in their nature, you know, they can't help themselves. Honestly, I'm such a self-reliant guy that I I rather bankroll my own show and produce the whole thing myself so I have complete creative control yeah. than, than try to get an offer from someone else. You know, that's, I mean, not to say that I would turn down a good offer, but that's just kind of the way my brain thinks. Like even when I came right. out with my supplements, you know, my original idea of my supplements was I'll just come up with a formula and, and then shop it around and sell it to other companies. 
And then I start thinking, you know, who knows what they're going to do with it. They could water it down. They could ruin the whole thing. And then I was thinking, why, why create stuff that's good and just give it to someone else? I mean, that's never been my model for my business. I right. stole my videos. I promote all my workshops. So it made sense that I can, I can do that with nutrition supplements or anything else I want to get into. So I think sure. nowadays, nowadays with YouTube and the Internet, it's that you, can, you can create your own show and get oh, yeah. millions of views on YouTube, mm-hmm. which can be a way to sell your books or your products or advertising revenue, you know, whatever it is. It's a totally different landscape now. Yeah, you? no, you're yeah. right. I mean, and certainly like, you know, e-publishing has changed publishing a lot. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I always am on the fence of should I start, Yo, you know, ask should you I about start that, doing yeah, self-publication. That, yeah. And then, well, you know, and just to take it to the meta level, like you look at the UFC, Again, they've done everything themselves, so HBO comes to them with a deal, and they're like, screw you guys. We don't right. need you. Right. Like, right. what do we need you for? That. You know, And yeah. HBO's going to have these rules, and they're going to do it with their guys. No, you're not. Like, we're doing it with our guys. Screw you. You know, yeah. why, why, would we, why bother? We're doing great without you. So, and I think, exactly. you know, you're coming at this with, from a real position of strength, and it's a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, self, self-publication, I think it, it can be great. Um, you know, it's it's – it's tricky in some ways in that, you know, <clears throat> part of what sells a book is marketing it and getting it on shelves. And, you know, uh, shelf space costs money. So if you want to be on the shelf at Barnes & Noble, you know, your publisher is paying them thirty grand or fifty grand to be on the front table and stuff like that. that all that stuff is monetized. It's all, it's all set up. So even, you know, Hudson, I was – I had my books with Hudson booksellers in airports for a while. Um and I had to kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, deal with that and stuff like that. So, um, hold on a second. I, can I, guys, I'm so sorry. I have to run. I have a little problem. No, no, here. that's okay. No, oh, problem. No, no problem. We've had you uh, on. But, we tried to we tried to cap it to an hour with our guests, and you went way over. So we we appreciate okay, good. your time, man. Yeah, we man. appreciate it. Yeah, no, somebody's uh, somebody's coming, and I gotta deal with it. So, um, thanks you so much, guys, and uh, just drop me an email, and you know, I'm happy to do it again or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. Yeah. We appreciate it, man. Pleasure. I, I appreciate well, it so much. Lot, Thanks, man. guys. Okay, yeah, bye-bye. You have a good day. Good day. Take care. Bye. Take care. <laughs> I know how that goes. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's that, been that's times where we've been doing the show. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've been like, you, you guys will talk, and then all of a sudden there's dead silence when I, I could have come in because I'm dealing with someone at the door or yeah. maintenance or whoever else. And it sounds like I'm no, shouting. That, that happened to me one time. I was in the middle of an interview, and I was just coming down the stairs, and I saw what looked like someone coming over to pitch something, right? Not someone that was just going to drop something off and leave. And right. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, no. So I, was, I think I was on the call, and I, I just basically said, give me a second. And I'm sitting there telling this guy to get lost, and it's all being recorded. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know if this interview ever made it live. I think it was a guy in Ireland who interviewed me. So I'm sitting there telling this guy, look, man, I'm busy right now. I'm doing this. No, I don't have time to talk about that right now. It's like, that's what you're hearing in the background. Then you hear this door slam. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, we didn't get a chance to say it, but you want to check out more about Sam, about his books, and what he's got going on, check out his website. It's worldismadeoffire.com. And you made a reference to that earlier in the show. So worldismadeoffire.com. And you can also find them on Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, anywhere you like to buy Audible. books. You'll, you'll, so, yeah, exactly. Audible is awesome. So Disaster Diaries, The Fighter's Mind, The Fighter's, the fighter's Heart. Heart. Yeah, good stuff. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you like what you heard today, you should definitely go check out his books. You want, and I, I really like audible.com, too. We talk about that quite a bit. But a lot, a lot of people complain about how, like, look, I'm busy. I'm working all day. Then I've got to deal with my family. I don't, wanna, I don't have time to read several hours a day. And 
yeah, we could we could sit around and we could talk about how that's just an excuse all day long. But instead of mm-hmm. doing that, why don't, why don't we just make use of whatever dead time you have? And that's where Audible.com comes in. If you're in yeah. your car commuting, instead of listening to the same music every day over and over again, Ugh. now you can listen to a book, you can listen to a podcast, you can listen to something where you're actually giving, you're actually making use of what normally would be dead time. You're exactly. on a long flight, you're at the airport, you're, you're at the doctor's office waiting forever to get in. You know, wherever, wherever there's a time in your day where you're just sitting around and you can't do anything about it, that's where something like audible.com comes in handy. I mean, I always have at least three or four books in there. And I'm telling you, when you're, when you're on a long plane ride, you get tired of watching crappy movies. Two or three is the most you're going to watch. <laughs> probably, probably not even that many, one or two. But the, the, just kicking back, shutting your eyes, listening to some audiobooks or podcasts is a great Especially way to Especially our podcast. That time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll shorten that long flight a lot more right there by listening to us and then turn on Audible. Yeah, exactly. So, you need to download every episode that we've had, and, and yeah. that'll get you around the world many times over. And it's just, it's just, <laughs> we're just adding to it every week. So, exactly. I mean, you, can spend, you can spend your whole week listening to our show, and that'll be a very productive week if you do that. Exactly. You'll be fired up when you land, man. <laughs> so imagine, <laughs> imagine things you can do once you touch down after listening to us through the entire flight. <laughs> There's a nice plug for us right there. <laughs> hey, guys, I just got back. I just got back. I'm sorry about that. I had to, I had to deal with something. I, I felt bad for running off like that. I had to. Uh, no, no, that's okay. Uh, you know, oh, no worries, man. Issue, but I, I, I apologize. I, I no, felt we like just, that's happened pretty rude about, about it. Yeah. Now, that's happened to me before where I was on an interview and someone's coming to the door, and I know it's not going to be fast, and I know they're not just dropping off something and leaving. So I was telling Sincere that I'm sitting there talking to this person at the door while I'm holding the phone, and you can people that are listening can hear everything. I'm going, no, get lost. I mean, I'm, I'm on the phone right now. I'm on an interview. It's like, oh, I just want to tell you about this real quick. Look, I'm busy. <laughs> no, I know this is a parent with – I have the kids over with my other – you know, it's the whole scene. I had to, like, explain oh, okay. where the yeah. nanny is and blah, blah, blah. But I apologize. And uh, I, I just want to say before I – you know, before I do go, because I know you guys are wrapping it up, but uh, I, I really – you know, Mike, I love your products, and I, I really oh, – uh, the uh, the the testosterone booster is great and oh, cool. uh, you like it. You know, it was one of those things where I really, I definitely, you know, your workouts get longer. You know what I mean? You just feel better. Right. And your workouts get right. longer. So um, you know that you can tell what's working. And uh, and I appreciate. It. I really like your workouts and stuff. And sincere, I'm not sure about. I haven't been into your stuff as much, but I'll check it out. No, no problem, man. We'll catch up definitely. So thanks a lot. And for was there to anything the show, I could tell you about um, about about self publishing or anything like that, or is it, are we all good with that? Oh, I was just going to tell you one thing is that uh, you know, if, you, if, you want to, if you wanted to start going in that direction, that I mean, the most important thing is controlling your own distribution. So, I mean, if you, ha- if you have a big list, a, a big email list, or you're very right. active in Facebook, Twitter, I think then you could actually make it work. Because we, we, had, this, we had the same discussion with Robert Green yeah. a couple episodes ago where I, was, I asked him the same question Sincere asked you is, have you ever thought about just going into just publishing your own books? And he seemed to – he seemed to – like having bigger publishing deals, but at the same time, he seemed to have some level of dissatisfaction there where he's thought about producing things on his own. But I think in his mind, he talked about his age and how he's, he's like, oh, you know, at my age, I don't really want to have to go do this and that. So I think, I think what's happened is he's become comfortable with that. But I think if he had a big list, because he's not mm-hmm. active on social media, like he's not that active on Twitter, Facebook, or his own email list from what I can see, I think he would have a lot more confidence to go in that direction if he did. So I think that's the most important thing. If you're going to start self-publishing, now the onus is on you to get the word out there. You no yeah. longer have this. You no longer have this team of people. 
I don't know how much, I mean, I can't speak of your books, but I don't know how much the average author gets done anyway, though. I imagine it's not that much, for example. No, I mean, you're really doing it all, you're doing a lot of it yourself. Yeah, you know, that's like what I was certainly, anyway. I mean, they have, I have a publicist, and, um, you know, the Holy Grail is getting on a show like The Daily Show, which I got on for the first book, or, uh, you know, um, you know, obviously Oprah would be. Yeah, get Oprah. Like, hey, you're, you're, you're all, you're, it's do. all good. You know, you're all yeah. good. And, you know, everything's perfect. But um, <laughs> there there are, you know, there's a lot of satellite radio, and there's some pretty big ones that they, but there's, you know, there's 17 calls they make, and that's it. So, it, 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 you know, I think also that you know the subject matter matters, and and how 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 sexy the pitch is matters. So you know, for Fighters Heart, it was uh, Harvard kid goes fighting um, easy. You know, that's easy. Everybody can get with that. So you know, the, the Daily Show <laughs> right. was like, sure, that sounds good. And then you know, the Fighters Mind. You know, I did more sports sports channels and stuff like that because it doesn't have that same easy pitch. Right. And. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I think there is definitely a place for it. I mean, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, man, what do they sell, 30, 40 million, you know, those things? The movie's on like, its way, man. Okay. Oh, yeah, uh, listen, I'm, that, I, I know all about it, brother. That, was, that wasn't a self-published book, was it? It was a fa- – it's fan fiction. It's even worse. I mean, it's even crazier. Wow. Um, you know, oh, it's wow. like somebody somebody wrote fan fiction on a fan website for Twilight. So with the characters from Twilight, they created this other story, and and it became. I mean, it's just it, that's one of those things that no one can possibly predict. Uh, you know, no one can can. <laughs> there's no way to know. You can't you can't go out looking for the next one because it's just impossible to tell right. when something like that's going to hit uh, and the way it did. And so maybe know, this should almost look like all the letters from like Penthouse and Playboy. Those <laughs> letters. <Yeah. laughs> Start, start I mean, you know, start creating stuff on Harlequin Romance. Some of, some of those you know, are pretty good. They should publish those. <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I would start talking smack about it, but you would just hear the the, the envy and jealousy in my voice because <laughs> selling thirty, I mean, like well, selling thirty five million copies is so big, you can't even imagine yeah. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. that would, you know, what that means in terms of for an author. I mean, selling. Selling, you know, a hundred thousand copies is great. You know, I don't, right. Mike, you have a book out, right? So, and do you yeah. do you sell it as a PDF and stuff? I think I've actually bought one of your books. I, I do. My, my Live Life Aggressively book, which was a departure from fitness stuff, that one, right. that one, I sell as. You can get it as a paperback and as an ebook. The ebook actually sells quite a bit more. So, like right. on, on Kindle, it sells a lot more than it does as a paperback on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I've sort of been around for kind of like the decline of the book business in a way which is and they're not really sure whether because you know sort of 10 years ago or whatever when I first got a book deal um, I got a certain advance and basically it stayed the same you know even though I've had success the advance has not really gone up um, and I'm not really sure why that is. I mean, people say ebooks, and I'm not quite sure that's the reason. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of factors, and, and uh, it's an interesting kind of thing. And I know lots of you know older writers uh, who are you know who just can't get advances anymore, you know, because they just don't do them. They, yeah. They do you think it's, Do you think your industry is becoming similar to the music industry, where a yeah. lot of yeah, a lot of artists don't make anywhere near as much as they do off actual song sales or record sales. So now they have to make up the difference, touring a lot more, selling right. more merchandise. You know, now, now bands have like 20 different T-shirts you can buy, things like right. that, to make up the difference. No, it's totally similar. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely – I'm not sure what – you know, 
how much the causes are linked and if they are and, and, and you know, they probably are and I'm not sure if it's like, you know, the way corporate culture has changed in terms of the profits they gotta show or or, or what. But uh yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, the book business is a lot different. You know, you don't go on book tours anymore, you do right satellite radio, you know, you do a bunch of call ins and stuff like that. So it's definitely uh it's definitely shifted. Um Right. And uh, but you know in a way it's it's funny because I'm here in 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 LA doing this stuff and and uh, writing a book is so much easier than doing any of this other stuff because like basically I have to make an editor happy that's it the editor bought the book he's happy We're, we have a book coming out you know done you know whereas right. in TV or film it's like you're endlessly dealing with committees on on any kind of question about about you know the story and creativity and all kinds of stuff you're sort of it's right. endless. Do you, do you have other opportunities that come from your book, such as lecture series or anything like that? Is that ever something that people hire you for? Well, you know, I just I'm doing the first one. I'm actually coming to Vegas um, for the Canelo Mayweather thing, and there's a there's a company oh, okay. that wants me to come talk. Yeah, and I, I, it's I've never I haven't done it before. I did go down with the Pittsburgh Pirates and hung out with them, but that wasn't. I gave you know I sort of did some little talks, but mostly I just was kind of hanging out and, and, right. and discussing things I'd seen and 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 you know how fighters taught toughness and stuff like that. Um, yeah, because the reason why I asked is it seems that with a lot of with a lot of musicians they kind of have to use the stardom or the attention they get from their craft as a way to develop other income streams. Like Fifty Cent mm-hmm. does extremely well with Smart Water, for example. So I'm I'm seeing that quite a bit. So I'm curious if that's the same for authors, where maybe you don't make yeah. as much on books as you used to, but the notoriety you get from that allows you to have other opportunities come your way. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think uh, appearances is a big thing. Like I think, you know, for instance, Anthony Bourdain. I think his appearances is where he makes a lot of his money. I think he makes right. yeah, he makes money from his shows, but I think appearances is where he makes a lot of money. Like he does well there. So I think. Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a weird scene, and it's not very conducive to the necessarily to the creative process, right. Uh, right. you know. But that's that's what you do, you know, and that's kind of uh, the the age old uh, author conundrum of you know, are you a show pony or are you you know somebody in a room scribbling, you know? Yeah, because the goal sincere and I have with the podcast is to get recognized where we get invited to these Vegas clubs to host parties and stuff like that yeah no hookers, you know, hookers strippers hookers coke that's what you guys are all about i know like, if the jersey short people can get those kind of gigs come on you know, some of these people get paid a hundred thousand dollars to come to vegas to host one night at these clubs it, it just yeah. cracks me and i mean it's because yeah. over there they're making more off stuff like that than than what made them famous in the first place yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. basically just get on the mic and say everybody having a good time stream <laughs> yep. and they're done and they got 20 grand exactly. for that <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the whole party people scene. I, so I actually like looked into you know the speaking thing, and I know you you guys do that a lot. It's it's something that I've you know sort of thought about and and haven't quite you know gotten to yet in terms of I'm not as comfortable. Um, I don't really you know have a speech, and so I don't you know I don't I'm not, that's not really where I I'm not sure that's where I want to go. And, uh, right, and right. anyway, mm-hmm. I'm, you know I'm I'm surviving without it. So but you know it'll it'll probably come to it at some point. Cool, man. Sounds good. Yeah. We well, listen, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, I, Mike, again, you know, <clears throat> I really like your stuff. So thanks for thanks for having me on. Oh, a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, thanks for hanging out for so long. All right. Take it easy, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Have a good one. All that, right. that was fun. That was funny.
that was funny. We've never had a guest come right back on. I know it was crazy because <laughs> I'm looking at the control, I'm looking at the control panel, and then I see the number, the three one zero number pop back. I'm like, what the fuck? You're like, you're like who's calling in right now? <laughs> it, was, it was so crazy. Like, hey, I'm back. I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> Never a dull moment on this show, man. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, we have a great month lined up. I mean, this this was a great pick on your part. Sam's a really cool guy and a great way to start off September. And then next week we have Sean Phillips. That'll be really interesting. Because, Sean, you know, really cool Sean, goes, Sean goes all the way back to EAS days, and there's so many yeah. things I'd like to ask him about that experience, so that'll be really fun. And then your boy Ali's coming on. Comedian. Yeah, Ali Sadiq, comedian. Yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Been on BET. He's been on Def Comedy Jam. So, and then um, we wrap up the month with a really, really cool guest. Yeah, man. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, we got Bruce Buffer Bruce for the Buffer. last. That's going to be huge. And I, I've actually been reading Bruce's book recently. And if, if you're a fan of the UFC or MMA, you're going to love his book. But even if you're not, he's got, a, he's got a lot of wisdom that he's sharing over different things he's tried throughout his life that are really interesting. So I, I'm writing down all these questions that I can't wait to ask him. And his, his yeah. book is a fun Even with read. the career of his brother, man. Even with, yeah. with yeah, Michael's yeah. career. I mean, it's just so funny when people hear that signature phrase, you know, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> well, the real brains behind it is Bruce. <laughs> no, it's so funny because I remember I was at an event one time and someone got up on stage and just yelled that out. And then immediately <laughs> that guy was apprehended. I, I mean, I'm not saying he was arrested, but they grabbed him and said, look, that's a trademark phase. Yes, trademark. You can't, you can't just, like, we can't, you and I wouldn't be able to just announce that at one of our workshops. Now, we probably could get away with it because, you know, where we have 20, 30 people at the most. It's not like, it's not like the word is going to get out. And Bruce yeah, it's Parker's not like somebody has, like, you know, Bruce yeah. on speed dial, like, hey, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm in Mike's and Sears workshop, and he just said and, and, really, and I really doubt Bruce is going to be like, all right, let's get the lawyers down on this one. These guys just said it in front of 20 people. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, if you're at a large event, like some concert or something, like if some guy, like if Bon Jovi gets on stage and yells that out before he starts the show, you know, he's going to hear it from some lawyers. So, yeah, so, but yeah. 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 it's kind of it's funny, man. It takes it back to, um, to Jimmy Walker, who played J.J. on Good Times. Like, this dude can't even say dynamite. And this is the, <laughs> the phrase, like, he's known for, but he didn't get the rights to use that. It's been right. trademarked. So this guy can't even say it when he makes appearances now. <laughs> How I remember, I remember that? that. Yeah, that is crazy. I remember uh, Donald Trump was trying to get the trademark for "You're Fired." You're fired, like, but it's like, on, but you have to go against. I mean, come on. Then you have to go against someone like Vince McMahon, who said it way before you, and that was his signature like phrase in the WWE. <laughs> so way before no, you. You're fired. Is, you're fired. Is, I mean, come on. So how? Like, so now like, what? Everybody's yeah, got to go. Yeah. Well, you've been let go. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna let you go. We're I firing you. That's not fired, right? You've been terminated. <laughs> like, okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Your services are no longer required at our company. <laughs> that would be like me trying to trademark happy birthday. Come on. It's such a common phrase. <laughs> you know, that you're not going to oh, get I know. You're <laughs> fired. So I mean, it's the point where you can't even say Super Bowl, you know, on, on these commercials or whatever, during the Super, Super Bowl, so you're going to say the big game. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> are you serious right now? Are you really charging people just to even say Super Bowl in a commercial? Well, they're already paying for the ads. Like, come on, stop it. No, but in, a, in another context, and this is, this is slightly off subject, but it's like political correctness, how it's where, it's like, we don't say Merry Christmas anymore. It's Happy Oh, Holiday. I know. It's Happy it's Holidays. It's like, no, no, it's not. I'm going to say Merry Oh, it's Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm going to say Merry Christmas or nothing, or I'm going to say Happy Hanukkah. You know, whatever comes up. You know I, I can't mean? believe that school had them, you know, it's just like, oh, I can't believe they had to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, well, <laughs> you're in America. <laughs> so... <laughs> so just get over it. <laughs> I shouldn't have yeah. to say it. 
Well, don't. No, if Come on, I thing. don't want to sing the Star yeah. Spangled Banner. Don't sing it. Why do you exactly. have to force it on people? They're not. Sit your ass down. Sit on your hands. Okay? Don't worry well, about it. Again, if, and if that's the biggest problem of the day, then you really don't have anything to worry about. You know? I don't want to have to sit there and pledge allegiance to the flag. Then don't. Okay? Sure. I don't know why people have such a hard time with that, though, because to me it's just you – know, even if you're not an American citizen, it's just a sign of respect, right? And like if I'm in other countries and, and I was at a football game in the U.K. and yeah, they had their little anthem and everyone got up, I'm, I'm not going to sit down just because I'm not from there. And exactly. just you know, fold my arms. You, know, you can get up and show yeah, I'm going to, respect, if I'm going to like China, Japan, and they're bowing before me. I'm like, oh, I'm good, bro. <laughs> somebody, yeah, you just stick your I'm hand not, out. Somebody, no. You're not my God. I'm not bowing down to you. Come on, fool. That's not even guy, about that. Shut up. Guy, guy bows and start rubbing the top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> like, hold, hold, hold still. You got some lint right there, bro. <laughs> like, oh, I thought... I thought I was. I thought you were showing me the top of your head to rub for good luck. You know? like, yep. Somebody, somebody bows down like, yep, male pattern baldness. <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> like, yeah, it looks like the GHT receptors in your hair follicles are. Very bad. <laughs> you know, let's let me go ahead and pull those strand off, get a little hair analysis there. <laughs> hey, oh, uh, what do you think about this uh, UFC card tonight? I know it's not a huge one or anything, but yeah, it was what so do you, crazy. I had forgotten about it, man, until I got my little, you know, UFC fantasy pick. You know, like last, you know, the last moment to go in and get your picks in. I was like, oh, it's a fight tonight. Because I was just really looking forward to um, the first night of the Ultimate Fighter and just right. seeing how, you know, start. I think it's actually going to be interesting to watch that now, seeing Ronda and Misha go at it. Real question, how many of these uh, fighters are hooking up in the house now? That's, <laughs> you know? that, see, that's what I'm, I'm wondering. Like, is this going to become the real world now? For I know. It's going to become the real world. It's I'm like, like oh, this is going to end up being a hot mess, man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But as far as the fight tonight, man, um, at first, I mean, I really, just because Ryan Bader's an underdog, uh, I actually wanted just to go with him. I, but you know what? I, I think Tashera may pull it off. Um, I think Tashera's going to pull up this issue. I think second-round knockout is what I gave it to Tashera, man. I don't, think I, it's, uh, I don't think it's as – I don't think the spread is accurate. You know what I mean? So he's, he's, a four, he's like a four to five to one favorite. Yeah. And so that, that makes betting on, on Bader as a possible winner a little bit more compelling. But right. at the same time, you have to ask yourself, why is he a five-to-one underdog? Right. And <laughs> because uh, I think Tashera is, is definitely going to win that one. I mean, anything can happen. You never know, like Sam was saying. You, I mean, exactly. It's, it's, not, it's not stuff where if you bet on the favorites, you have like a 90% chance. Or you look at what they did in their last fight, which that's why I always have a conflict in picking. I look at what they did last. I mean, that's, that's why I had the conflict with Tashera and Bader. I'm like kind of looking at Bader's last few fights and I'm like, damn, but something still tells me I want to pick him. I said, but you know right. what? And I'm, yeah, Tashera's on a roll, but at the same time, it's just like, ah, I still feel like he still hasn't gone against the best of the best. You, right. I mean, you can't really, you can't get no, on a Rampage and call that, you know, like, oh, it's going to be one of the biggest fights of his life. He defeats Rampage. Y- yeah, if this was 2005. Right. <laughs> 2006. You and know. He, didn't, he didn't defeat him like John Jones, where John Jones finished him. Oh, you know, it was more of a decision, <laughs> so it was that, that's kind of that's the kind of fighter he is. And that's why I'm thinking that even tonight may just be a three round decision. I think most likely Tashera wins. You never you never know, but I, I would say that Tashera has a lot more to lose because yeah. if he if he wins this, he keeps getting closer and closer to a title shot. Title fight, while, yeah. while if Ryan loses, he's just trying to. I mean, not, not, Ryan's not trying to keep a job, job, which makes him yeah. which makes him a makes him a threat. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I take that back. You know, I, I was there. Obviously, Bader, now looking at it that way, Bader has a lot more to lose. I mean, this could be his last fight if he doesn't win. So he may come right. in extremely hungry. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see. I, I just hope it's a good fight. I mean, that's what I always hope. Yeah, for. I don't want to be bored. I don't want to see just a bunch yeah. of take, a lay and pray, takedowns and all that. I really, right, right, right. I actually want to just see, I want to see a hungry Ryan Bader. Okay. I, want, I want to see like Ryan when he came in right after the Ultimate Fighter. I want to see that guy again. That would be great. <laughs> You know, just really excited to be there. Yeah, you've got great wrestling skills, but you're not going to sit there and just depend on your wrestling only. You're going to get some stand-up in there as well. You're going to mix it up. So I really hope that that shows up tonight to make the fight interesting. Right. And then the other other one that looks interesting is Okami. Okami and Jacare. Jacare, yeah. Actually, I'm picking Jacare on this one by submission. Yeah. A lot of people are – most people are leaning your way, actually. Most people are – Jacare, I believe, is the favorite. Some people are saying that Okami's wrestling is one of the factors here that's being overlooked. And well, that means honestly, that he'll, end up, he'll end up on the ground with Jacare, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not, I haven't watched enough of either one of their past fights to, to know too much about style, so I'm, I might I'm have to go take great, a look He's got good grappling. He just doesn't utilize it as much. Right, right. That's the, that's the issue. So, I don't know. I'm going to stick with Jacare on that one. And then you got Joseph Benavides and... I mean, I must say through this whole this whole fight tonight, there's a lot of it's a lot of newcomers and a lot of people you haven't really heard of. Right. And so it's a lot of underdogs and a lot of UFC debuts. And I, one thing I kind of went on a limb went on a limb with just about everybody's making a UFC debut. I went ahead just just for fun. I just picked them. Right. <laughs> I picked all these guys. <laughs> hey, why not? I want to go against the grain because everybody say yes, yeah, yeah. the first octagon jitters and all that. I'm like, nah. Right. I'm gonna go ahead and go with these guys now. Right. I'm not going with um. I think the guy's last name is Formesia. I'm not going with him. I'm going to go with Joseph Benavides on this because I think, you know, he wants to get back in that title hunt again. And this dude, he's a, he's a tough – I mean, Joseph Benavides is no joke. And that their whole camp right now, I, those guys are ignited over there, man. Right. So. That should be cool, man. So it, it's kind of cool that they they do these Wednesday night fights, actually, because – Well, I'm glad they brought them back because they really hadn't done them fun. since they left um, Spike. Right. So, so – it's kind of cool. Um, I mean, they got the the roster is big now, so you got to do something with all these fighters instead of just having them sitting That's around right. for That's two right. years before they get a fight or something like that. So, and this is a good way. It's kind of like um, um, the way Strike Force used to do with their fights on Friday nights. They won the big fights or whatever. I forgot the name of it at this point. Right. But it was a good way these guys get their feet wet. You know. Yeah, kinda... I think it was called uh, the Contenders or something like that. Oh I gosh, I can't freaking remember it now. Yeah. So yes, yeah, in that same, it's just like that. As a matter of fact, I think right now as we speak, the prelims have already started as I'm looking here on the UFC. Yeah, it, the starts, at, yeah, it starts at 4 p.m. Pacific, so it's probably yeah. already on its way of getting started. So, yeah, man. Well, so, cool, man. Also, just real quick, with a couple things with the show where we've been getting some great feedback from you guys and also some good suggestions, such as taking some listener questions, answering them on the show. So, well, we're wrapping it. We're going to wrap this one up, but we'll start doing that on future shows. We'll take some training questions and answer those. Definitely. A couple of, top, couple of topics that came up, such as advice for older guys, older men and women, you know, past 45 and so forth. How, mm-hmm. how, should, you, how should you modify training? And uh, in my, uh, just real quick, in my opinion, it's a lot more about making sure you do adequate things for restoration. But we'll get yes. a lot more. I, mean, I think you can still train as hard as you I find that at, at almost 40, it'd be 40 in October, I can still train as hard as I did when I was younger and be stronger even. I just have to make sure that the restoration is dialed in. 
You know, back yeah, in the definitely. day, you could go out and party the next day, get a good workout. You know, that's not going to work anymore. And fortunately, I don't care to do that anyway. But we'll, right. talk, we'll talk about some of that stuff, too, on future episodes. And then people had questions for both of us or, you know, how do you guys put together different training programs, combining kettlebells with bodyweight stuff, uh, barbell work, when to switch to bodyweight-only training, you know, things right. like that. So, we'll yeah, I mean, stuff. yeah, definitely for me, like, if I'm going hard, if I'm doing a, a, a deadlift day, then definitely the next day is going to be a body weight day. For me, a lot of times at this That's point, my body weight training is also part of my recovery. Right. So Active I pick one day to treat that body weight training as a recovery day, and then one be more of a, a more strength and power and conditioning day as well. So right. it, it affords me a little bit more longevity with my training with, with, with barbells and kettlebells. And when it's, with kettlebells, I actually mix that with my body weight training because kettlebells afford me that opportunity. On a deadlift day, the last thing I want to do is do some jump squats, box jumps, right. you know, <laughs> throw right. pistols or anything like that. All yeah, I want exactly. to do is just like really, you know, maybe just do something really light upper body-wise and maybe some skipping rope, just kind of flush myself out a little bit and right. help with my springiness, but not that much. And I'll, I just want to go home. <laughs> okay, right. so... That's the last thing I want to do is a body, some body weight training on a deadlift day. So I think, I, think it's, I think it's a good idea to throw in some fun freestyle workouts. And I actually never logged these. I've never, I've never added these to my Facebook page or Twitter. And these are workouts where I just go in with the intent of messing around, you know, no plan or anything. And it'll be stuff where I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to work on box jumps, and I'll do some body weight stuff, and I'll just pick up a kettlebell and do some presses and this and that. And right. it, it, it's basically like a big mess, but it's done yeah. on purpose where I'm not yeah, doing anything about heavy. Yeah, nothing rigorous, nothing heavy. And then it's, it's almost like you get a chance to experiment with moves. Like, oh, I'm going to try out that move Sincere mentioned the other day, or Ken was talking about this. Let me try that out. Right. It, it's, a, it's a day where you allocate the stuff like that. You just, block, you just lock out an hour and say, okay, I'm just going to play around with whatever comes to mind. Yeah, and that's definitely hour. good mentally also, man. Yeah, you're, you're having fun again. You're not having to be so serious with your training. And it's funny, um, one of the things we do in my classes, every now and then I'll throw it in there, we'll have a day where I call like a freestyle run. And a freestyle run is not all about running. What it is, I tell them, okay, here's the deal. For the next 15 minutes, you're going to run. But you're not just going to run for 15 minutes. You're going to sporadically just do whatever you've learned in this class as far as body weight training. I said, and if there's other stuff hanging out, like we have sandbags out, battling ropes, or kettlebells or something like that, they can pick that up and do something with that too. So basically they'll just do anything they've ever learned in our class and just sporadically do it. So I said, well, the last thing I want you to do is to spend all 15 minutes running. I actually want running to be either 50 to 40% of what you do. So it, it just needs to be the most random stuff. So if you're running, I just want you to just drop down, start doing bear crawls. You know, if we're inside, then start tumbling while you're doing those bear crawls. So do some tumbles, you know, and do some, some tuck and rolls and all that madness. You know, hop up on the rings. You know, do some, some recline rows on the rings, pull yourself up, you know, do some pole vaulters or something like that, come back down, take off, you jog again, or you run again, or, you know, right. you just drop down, you know, you just kind of do what I call the falling push-ups, where you're standing up and you just kind of fall, and then boom, you catch yourself into a push-up position, and then boom, pop back up again. So just all these different things, because I think that also really helps you with your central nervous system, really helps you mentally as well, because you're constantly trying to create a workout as you go. You know, and you're just trying to see, like, oh, let me do that. And you're kind of using your short and long-term memory, like, oh, I haven't, we haven't done this in class in a long time. Let me do this exercise right now. So it makes it very fun. You know, sometimes we used, we used to do it on Fridays when I had classes on Fridays, and we will just call it Freestyle Fridays. You know, right. so, like I said, just really throw those things in the mix, have a lot of fun, you know, and a, just a good chance to keep your body moving. And 
I think a lot of times folks spend too much time trying to think like, especially if they're starting a training program or they're at that realization, I need to do something. I need to start working out. They spend too much time trying to figure out, well, where do I start? Well, I should do this. Maybe I should do this. Well, I'm not there yet. And this, this, this. One thing about this, it kind of removes all that paralysis analysis. Right. Analysis, yeah, you want to go do something, man. Yeah, because guess get, what? Get, if you just Get started, on an elliptical machine for 30 minutes. Who cares? Exactly. You know, go and do if something. If you just starting, all this will work. It will get you towards your goal because right. you haven't done anything before this. Right, <laughs> right. You know, exactly, so. exactly. And I, I think, you know, something, I've gone through periods where I'll do, I'll do a couple of weeks of this kind of freestyle training because the body's yeah. just beat up. You know, you know that feeling when you're, you're doing a lot of heavy weightlifting and you just, you just feel stiff. I hate yeah. that feeling. You're, you're bending over to pick something up, and your hamstrings are, oh. Yeah, I'm, like, you, I'm experiencing that right now. It's just kind of, <laughs> like, you know, I, I, you know, like I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I was going to, you know, compete in the Kettlebell Games, and my body just told me, like, dude, here's the deal. You got to make a decision. You can go to the Kettlebell Games, the National Kettlebell Games, and you can do a half-ass job and attempt to try to go to the IKFF World Championships in November and do another half-ass job. Or you can heal yourself. You can recover. You can relax. You can still get ready to train for Worlds and go in there and really have fun and really kick ass in November. So that's what I've done. And like now, um, I'm about to hit you up. For, I'm about to buy another bottle of testosterone booster for this month, starting next week, and just really start training toward November. That's another thing about when you're training at 40. It's not about scaling back and not doing anything. It's, being, it's picking your battles well. So my right. thing is not trying to do too many things all at the same time and then overlap, right. and then right. you get burnt out and stressed out, and your adrenals and your CNS is like, screw you, buddy. <laughs> and then you yeah. start being coming that guy like, oh, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> so no, you, you're becoming too dumb for this. <laughs> That's what yeah. it is. So you got to get smarter, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to make sure you get the right nutrients in your diet so you're, you're managing inflammation, oh, load yeah. up on spices at every meal, things like ginger, turmeric. Uh, supplements like systemic enzymes, things like that make, yep. make a huge difference as you start getting older and training. I mean, really for anyone, whether you're young or old, working out hard. But yep. if you're someone who's got these aches and pains and little joint issues and your back is stiff all the time, then you, you definitely have way too much inflammation in your mm-hmm. life, not just your diet, your life, because you're, you're not sleeping as much as you should be. Maybe, right. you're, maybe you have nutrient deficiencies, vitamins and minerals, and you're not taking time to restore. And that's the biggest mistake i see most people, people sleep make. on not sleeping people, and recovering man yeah, people will blow a thousand bucks a month easy on supplements but they won't blow 50 bucks on a good massage now you get a you good know. sport and i'm a guy who sells nutrition supplements but I, i'm not going to lie to you and say oh just buy my stuff instead of getting a good sports massage once a week believe me if you if you got a good sports massage once a week you would be shocked how much of a difference that makes in right. your workout performance. And if you, now, for some people, they're going to say that's a l- little bit too often and I, I can't fit that in my budget. Fine. You know, once every two weeks, even once hey, a dude, month. Hey, dude, you can – I mean, come on, cheap. folks. I'm sure there's a massage envy where you are or a yeah, massage exactly. height. I mean, you cheap. can get that I – mean, you can at least do that once a month. You pay 39 bucks a month. And then if you get an extra massage or whatever, I think it's like about – it's about the same price. You come can on. go to massage schools where it sometimes oh, – Oh, yeah, it's free, way cheaper there because they, they need the Yeah, they're trying to log in hours. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I don't know what the quality will be, but, hey, beggars can't be choosers. Well, what I've been but, told – I mean, at least the one of the, a couple of the schools here, <clears throat> I've had some of my folks go there, and they're like, it's a lot better than a lot of the actual massage places out there and businesses out there. So there's better going to the school. I think because these, these students, yeah. you know, they're fresh. They, they have the material fresh on their mind. They haven't been doing right. it for so long that the skill set is kind of like wavered a little bit, or they're not addressing new types of issues. 
And you got people doing stuff like insanity and all this other madness, and they weren't doing this type of stuff 10 years ago. People right. are doing a lot more interval training, doing CrossFit and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you've been, doing, you've been in a massage game for 20 years and you haven't stayed on top of your continuing education skills, then you may not address these type of like, issues right. correctly for, for people coming in that do things like this. Yeah, so, no doubt. So, yeah, that's kind of where the massage schools, a lot of times, they pay off. It's kind of like how people used to go to the barber schools, which they used to scare me. I'm like, do you really want to go to a barber school? Do you really want to trust? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my, like my wife goes like to the Paul Mitchell school, and they do a better job there for her than some salon where they charge like $200 just right. for a simple haircut. Well, right. she can go there and spend like maybe 30 or 40 bucks, which still to me is asinine to spend for a haircut. <laughs> just get some clippers, woman, and <laughs> go at it. So yeah, I, do, I do the free method. I grab clippers and shave it down. <laughs> <laughs> See, like me, just wake up and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've actually added up all the money I've saved in the last 20 years on haircuts, man. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, man. So I'm, I'm good. But, you know, not everybody has that. So my thing is maybe you want to look at some of these barber schools and colleges and take your chances there. Get some referrals. See some people. See what the, you know what they've done with them. So the same thing with the massage school. Same thing. Ask around. Check out. I would say check out Yelp, which Mike, I'm, I'm probably going to tell you right now because I can't stand Yelp. They'll probably never sponsor this show because I <laughs> can't stand them. Because here's the problem with the Yelp. Most of the people that review on that, I mean, here's the thing: when you, they give honest reviews, if you're not buying ads with Yelp, the good reviews they'll often get rid of them, and they'll probably put more of the three star, you know, less of reviews on there, or whatever, until you buy ads, and then they'll take your five and four star reviews out of queue when you spend money. So they kind of hold it hostage until you buy services from them. So Yelp, on behalf of Sincere Hogan, this is me talking. You suck. Okay? <laughs> so, and I don't care. So. <laughs> that's okay. We don't need any sponsors. That's, that's also the beauty of just doing everything on your own. We get them? Cool. We don't? No big thing. But I think uh, one of the other things that works really well for restoration is just spending time in a spa, hot tub, steam room, sauna. Yeah. No, I try to do that once a week. There's one big sauna right there. Yeah, yeah, true. People in Vegas are like, why do I need to do that? I can just go stand on my, on my patio. Like <laughs> in the afternoon. Now, yeah, man, I agree with you on that, man. Good. People sleep on the spas and the saunas, and you just yeah. don't understand like, how great that can be for your body, especially releasing toxins. Hell, go to a hot yoga class, man. you kind of getting like, right, like right. Oh, you're killing two birds with one stone right there, getting all types yeah. of restoration. You're, you're getting rid of toxins. You're really helping with recovery and reducing inflammation. You know, just and you're getting that heat therapy also. So don't sleep on high yoga, people, especially guys. Get over the fact. Quit, stop thinking that yoga is for girls. So yoga is pretty much for people who are really trying to add some longevity to their training. It, it carries over. Some of the top athletes out there, these guys rave about yoga and how it's really helped them in their game, man. Don't sleep on it. Yeah, we'll definitely get more into topics like that on future episodes, so no, no question about it. So if you have questions and things like that that you would like to hear answered on the show, just shoot them out, and we'll start yeah. compiling a list, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible. Yeah, so definitely go to the fan page. Go to the Facebook fan page, LLA Podcast. You can post your questions there. Mike and I are constantly checking the fan page. Or if you go on Twitter, you can post your questions there and just use the hashtag LLA Podcast. We'll get these questions. We'll start adding them to the show and throw it into our lightning round at the end. So there you go. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, All right man. People. Well, that's, that's about it, I think, for this week. We've got another information-packed episode, and we'll see everyone next week. All right. Take care, everybody.